Welcome to episode 348 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 348 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? On fire, Bevan. Ready to rumble. You don't know you're working, actually. What are you doing? Am you I? Know, you're typing away. Oh, yeah, I'm just getting my websites open. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, doing, yeah, he's doing yeah. all his prep, his mental prep. Yeah. You're mentally prepared. I am in that zone. Got a couple of hours in front of you, you know. Didn't get any sleep last night because you're nervous. That's not why we didn't get any sleep last night, Bevan. Why didn't you get any sleep last night, John? <laughs> I am talking is proudly brought to you by coffeesofaway.com. That's why I didn't get any sleep. I had some oh, coffee just before bed. Valentine's Day, gifts coming up, people. Got to talk to you about that. Extreme endurance. A lactic buffer makes you better. And athlinks.com. Just tell all your friends how great you are once you've got better. Mm. And then don't put your results up that aren't so good. Yes. yes. Okay, guys, in this week's show, what we've got happening? We've got a bit of news. We've got an age group of the week, or age groupers yep. of the week, which is very exciting. Uh, we have a website of the week, and we have an interview. We've got a couple of interviews. We've got one with Tamsin Lewis, Dr. Tamsin Lewis, mm-hmm. which we did last week. And then Norton Hadler. Tell me about him, John. Well, we're going to try to like get a little bit controversial. Well, we're going to get a bit, try to get a bit of balance to things because, uh, in terms of our nutritional information, we're providing you guys. You know, we've we've had uh, the paleo dudes on. Um, there's been quite. We haven't had anybody on like Tim Noakes, who very much advocates. Why haven't we had him on? We've got to get Tim on. Oh, we'll get him on at some stage. Yeah. I need to. I need an angle with him because a lot of his stuff that he talks about is already widely available on the internet. Um, so the angle is. Well, I talk. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll consider it. Um, anyway, I wanted to bring a get, to get a slightly different opinion and good old, good old, good old Norton Hadler. Not Norton Hadler. Good old Jenny. Jenny. What was Jenny's second name from the block? Oh, I have to find Jenny's second name. It's not on my my list here. Um, she hooked us up with um, Norton to try to give us a bit of a. a just some a, more of a balanced view, saying, "Well, this is what this camp's saying. This is what this camp's saying. This is what some what a, a lot of the research is saying." That's what I'm hoping to get out of it. But let's uh, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. This could be a very controversial show. Okay, we've got some news coming up. So first of all, we've got some questions and answers at the end. So first of all, we've got some news, and there's a lot of Aussie news. The Aussies, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Well, I think, I think, oi, oi, oi. Oh, good. Yeah, well, good, I'm not good. Australian, John. I'm not trained. Good. I'm not conditioned for that. Okay, you know. One thing I will say on the Australian sport topic right now is You're a bunch been, of cheating drug. Well, yeah. Have you been following that? Uh, yeah, but it's still yeah a lot of. Yeah, I have. That doesn't seem like they've come out with that much information yet. Well, they're basically just saying, "Oh, you everybody's cheats," so they haven't really said who's the cheats. Well, yeah, I, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an interesting time in sport right now, isn't it? Well, so for anybody non-Australian or New Zealand, basically, uh, there's been an investigation in Australia, and they've come out saying there's a lot of. Uh, Drug taking going well, no, on. Well, but there's one um, yeah. AFL team yeah. that was pretty much the whole team was on it, and their doctor was injecting it in them. Mm-hmm. And then what they did is they got the players to sign a waiver to say, "Hey, anything we put in you, you're responsible for." Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's, it's 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 just a very fascinating time in sport, isn't it? It is. It's fascinating. What's sad, you know? Mm-hmm. You grow up with these heroes. Mm-hmm. We could be heroes. It's kind of more positive things. Well, Crowley's racing Melbourne, so that's good news. It is good news for the race because they'll get a hell of a lot more exposure um, because of that. And uh, 
Yeah, of course they will. Well, it's Australasian gems. Yeah, but uh, they, I mean, if Cam Brown was racing, was or was, if Cam Brown's racing Ironman New Zealand, if he wasn't, do you think the event's going to get more exposure? I don't know. Like, how many news pieces will they do the week before the race? Quite a few. Yeah, and if Cam Brown wasn't there, do you think they'd still do them? Yeah, but they wouldn't get necessarily picked up. Mm. I mean, that's the same, like we've just had the Coast to Coast, and we'll come to that in a minute. If they didn't have, uh, this year's slightly different, um, but if they didn't have Richard Usher, you know, if they start putting up the other names, people are going, hmm, who's that guy? Never heard of him before. Um, I don't but know. This I year that was a bit different. They had some Olympic athletes. But but anyway, bottom line is um, Crowey's racing, and I guess what's somewhat interesting about that is that uh, he needs to race if he's, go- if he's going to do Kona. And we, certainly when we spoke to him after the race last year, didn't seem like it was very high on his you agenda. You guys heard it, didn't you? He wasn't, he wasn't in his happy place. Um, so be, I'll be interested to see, because you know, last year it seemed like a big reason for him to go back was to, to race uh, Lance, yep. and I just wonder you know, whether that, um, whether getting crushed last year, whether that's you know, restoked the, the sort of fire in his belly, um, because he has won the race a number of times. And well, last year was his first bad performance in an Ironman. Mm. You know, what, what race has he had a bad performance at? That's the only one I can remember. I remember his very first Ironman that he did. Uh, I think he got about fifth or something in, in Ironman Australia. Um, but I think he just sort of went through the motions just to sort of get it, get a spot and didn't necessarily go Harry Hardnuts. Um, so, Good old Harry. Yeah, so it's, just, it's an interesting one. But I guess it means, you know, finishes in Melbourne, ticks the box. The option is open for him to, to qualify or to, to go to Kona if he wants to. Mm, be very interesting to see. We could see him in Kona. It would. Yeah, if he's if his heart's in it. Yes. Yeah. Also, um, Geelong seventy point three. Some interesting names in there, John. And I'm thinking you're thinking the female field. Um, well, a bit of both. Um, it was uh, it wasn't actually a seventy point three. I thought it was too, but we were both wrong there. Well, no, I'm just reading your notes. Don't yes. blame me for your mistakes. Okay. Well, you could read the article as well. It was the Geelong Long Course Triathlon. Oh, which I was, did read the article, which was over the half half distance. Um, but yeah, no, what was interesting here is on the guys' side of things, uh, he had Chris, Chris Kemp um, backing up after his 70.3 yeah. win in Auckland, and he's obviously got the winning formula at the moment, beating Luke Bell um, by only 30 seconds. But what was interesting was, uh, we'll talk about the girls and then uh, go on to the guys again, uh, Melissa Holstein nearly got run down by Emma Moffat, mm. so seeing her turning out in a, uh, a 70.3, or a, a long-distance triathlon yep. was, was quite interesting, and sounds like she was running up a storm and then blew up at about the uh, 15, well, we'll slow down a bit at the 15k mark, but there's not many people that can uh, run down Melissa Holstein. Um So that was pretty cool. But I guess the interesting story that came out of it for me was uh, someone stolen my Project 2014 plans and uh, Peter Robertson has, has come out of retirement and is saying he wants to try to win Kona in 2014. Yeah, I did read the article, John, and it did say, John Newsom inspired me. Yes. Yes, it was a, the lead line, I saw Newsom was coming back, I thought I've got to do it as well. Yeah, uh, I, did, and so I did actually race Peter Robertson in one of, uh, I think it was my first ever overseas race, or maybe the first, yeah, I don't think it was. In What's J- interesting, and, and the, the lead of this article, this is on K226, Dot com. They've got um, Australia's most successful short course athlete. Now, you don't think of Peter Robinson as the most successful, do you? 
Uh, like when you think of names of Australian athletes. Yes and no. Yes, I totally You can see why he gets it, but mm-hmm. but you kind of also don't put him in that, like, I don't know. Like yeah. His name wouldn't have been the name that popped up in my head. His, his career probably wasn't um, quite as long, but what Peter Robinson was, he was a big time racer. When world champs came around every year, you think, well, he's either going to win or probably get get nowhere. He was he and and, and so he, he raced in Geelong, and this was his comeback, and he did not finish. So it wasn't the greatest start to his comeback. Um, but Do we know why it was it DNF just a bad day. No, or? I'm not sure. No. Just nice to know he DNF'd. But anyway, um, I can't see him winning Kona, or I can't actually. I, he's he's one of those athletes. He is just on and he is redlining it or he's just getting his ass kicked yeah. um, big time I, I never you know I, I remember he raced was it the Commonwealth Games I remember watching the race and you just surge yeah. and he'd surge and you what's this guy doing he'd surge and, and, and then they'd catch him and he'd surge again and he just yeah. would do this continuously and in the end of the year I think he blew up but um, you kind of like the way he raced because it was really interesting. Yeah, no he absolutely smokes it and I just don't think he'll have the patience um, to to ride an Ironman bike course and then run a steady marathon. So anyway, again, I love people prove me wrong and uh, good old Dylan McNeese proved me wrong a couple yeah, of weeks Mac ago. Mac proved you wrong. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Quite a few people good, proved you wrong. Good luck to him. Um, I'll be interested to see uh, how it goes. And, uh, well, he's in the pedigree. He's got the pedigree, hasn't he? You know, if he can make it work. Mm. Yep. I mean, he, he and, and uh, he can ride okay. Uh, he's the same age. I'm pretty sure he's the same age just because uh, the story I was saying, we raced each other in Japan probably when we were about 18. Did you beat him? Uh, well, I was well in front of him on the swim because he couldn't swim to save himself. I was well in front of him after the bike and then he uh, gassed me on the run. But he oh. didn't catch Cameron Brown. Cameron Brown won that day. Uh, but yeah, I'll be interested to see how he goes. Got to qualify first. Quite hard to qualify as a pro these days. Well, pretty good. You do some 70.3s. Yeah, but you got to Ironman. Yeah, you got to be half decent. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure this guy can qualify. Mm, yeah. Really? Yeah. You, you really? Well, okay, I can understand maybe not winning Kona, but Peter Robinson's going to qualify if he okay. wants to. Let's see. Come on, Robert. Show us what you made oh, of. You're putting, that, you're putting the smack talk down. Yeah. Just because he's just stolen your Project 2014 plan. Exactly. He's got a new website, Robo 2014. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else is happening in I'm in Japan's now official. We, we, we broke the news last week. Well, well, we juice, juice juice broke it. it. We were second we to break still, it. Yeah, that's right. We it's still official. Break. Looks like a cool course. Okay, Coast to Coast. Now, this is a bit of a New Zealand-centric thing, but the Coast to Coast is the event we talk about every year. It goes from the west coast of New Zealand right across to the east coast all in one day. It's a bit of an iconic New Zealand event, and uh, so we, we kind of just give it a quick update. We do. Uh, and Braden Curry took out this year's event, um, beating the raging hot favourite Richard, Richard Usher. What's interesting is Braden Curry uh, won the Wanaka half, and he didn't just win it, he absolutely decimated everybody. He beat my run course record. Yeah. I but, had the run course record. Oh, really? Yeah, did you not know that? Uh, maybe I did. Um, but he would have crushed it, didn't he? Absolutely. No, he beat about 30 seconds. Really? Yeah. Wow. Must be a different course. Because <laughs> he was like, he ran about seven minutes quicker than everybody. He ran 119. Yeah. And I did 120 there. Yeah. We beat some guys, I beat guys like a, who are sort of world championship age group medalists who are, who are pretty decent. So it was like, who was there? Andrew Young. I mean, he's he's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, can't remember who else, but yeah, there were some okay guys there. Um, so what's interesting with Braden Curry is he. Decimated everybody on the run course this year and just... Uh, At Coast to Coast? Yes. And yeah. you'd, you'd expect normally Richard Usher would um, peg back up. a huge amount on the kayak and then have a really strong last leg. But Braden Curry just... I think he had like... I think it was it was over 10 minutes out of the run. Um, and very, very impressive. Uh, 
But what's interesting is he's got a baby on the way, so he got ten grand for winning. It's ten grand New Zealand for winning coast to coast, and then it drops astronomically to yeah, second. One half thousand or something. Yeah, something crazy. Yeah. Um, he's got a baby on the way, uh, but he also said he's going to be doing a few more triathlons over in Europe this year. I'm going to go over there, and he can actually swim. So you'd expect normally from a coast to coast. Oh yeah, flick that moth onto my screen. Why don't oh, you? Oh yuck. <laughs> Moth goo on my screen, um, but he can actually swim. He, I looked at his Wanaka swim time, and it was really impressive. Like he was, it was, it was right up there. There was there was one uh, former ITU guy who beat him out, but I think he was he was right up there in swim, steady bike, and uh, and actually gassed the run. So we're interested to see how he goes in uh, in some races over in Europe. On the girls' side, I think Sophie Hart absolutely crushed everybody. Richard Usher, for those of you who don't know him, he was second in the men's race. He's he, won it five times. Isn't yeah, he? yeah, and I think he's uh, he wasn't perhaps at his best. Um, he, was, he was still okay, but he it sounded like he had quite a bit of. Uh, sort of sickness going through sort of October, November time and only really started training back around sort of uh, December time and he had to have like about a whole month completely off, just uh, oh, wow. totally worn out and system was on sort of shutdown. So, but still, he looked like he raced fairly strongly but probably not quite as A-game, but Braden Curry. Well, there was, was an article day. and I think I talked about this last week, didn't I? Vaguely, but I hadn't read it. I was It was quite interesting. Oh, so you didn't count when I talked? Well, it had come out that morning. It was in the papers that morning, Tuesday morning. I hadn't had a chance to scan all the papers. So what did you think of the article? Show. So Richard Usher had won the race five times. He's kind of New Zealand multi-sport kind of icon at the moment. Mm. And uh, he kind of really criticised the race director saying, your race hasn't really progressed in the last 20 years. You know, other races are out there doing a much better job. The amount you're charging, you're not really delivering on the experience. And and totally unsurprisingly, the the the, the race director of the coast to coast is this eccentric, very eccentric, full on guy, and yeah. he just went mental. That was totally the response you would expect to get. Um, but he, Richard Usher, made some fantastic points, and I can't. I was really disappointed in some of the other legends that came out and said, "Oh no, you're full of it." You know, that's not how it is, and it's like. Really, it is because the coast to coast, iconic event, amazing, unique, really different course, but it's a bit of a Mickey Mouse show when it comes to transitions and the finish area and, and what have you. So, you know, we we used to go down the finish area. It used to be quite cool. Now it's really lame. Oh, really? It's I've that, never been. Like you know, again, when when we when I put on events, we get Bevan to come along. You got the music pumping. Bevan and MC Ken are sort of pumping up the crowd, so we're making all it really DJ, good. DJ. Down there, and the people are just running out the finishing shoot, and all you've got is um, Joe Watchamacallit saying, "Right, here comes number five two six, um, Jimmy this Rogers." Is That's it. <laughs> it's just lame, and oh, there's really? no updates or anything like that. And you want to be at the finish, knowing, "Right, what's going on yeah. out there?" Maybe have a bit of a big screen, and and this event is it must be incredibly expensive to run with the traffic management because it is point to point. But there's just lots of little things they could really be doing. Um, one of Richard Usher's points that he made for the. Uh, Pro athletes is they have to wear these huge big numbers. Um, basically, it's basically like a t-shirt. It's with a bib, really, a like bi- a nipple a bib. bib. Yeah, like a yeah. really big bib, and that covers your whole sponsors and blocks out all your sponsors. Um, so your sponsors get zero coverage. And at the same time, on your bike helmet, on your kayak, um, everywhere you've actually got to put spates, which is the the beer sponsor of the event. You've actually got to put all that stuff all over your helmet, oh. um, and it's on all your race numbers. So it's, the spates gets massive coverage out of it. Um, that damn moth spake, Bevan. Get no, no, it's not because I killed my one. Oh, uh, no, this is you flicked it from no, yours. No, this definitely my one was dead. Got it. Yeah, because I flicked it over onto yeah, your computer. Yeah, we're playing moth ping pong. <laughs> um, 
But I think one point Richard Usher made is, oh, yeah, it's the same point always. Oh, you've got to increase the prize money. It's like, well, I think part of the athlete's responsibility there is to help lift the profile of the event a bit more. It's like, Although Usher has. Yeah. yeah. I, well, yes and no, because like Coast to Coast is a race. Doesn't really need exposure lifted. No, everyone in New Zealand knows what the coast to coast is, mm. you know. And so, an athlete isn't really going to help lift the exposure. I guess just those athletes just aren't that well known outside Richard Usher. You ask anybody who who else is in the coast to coast field from from your, your yeah. normal sporting public, yeah. wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. So. Mm. Anyway, hot topic last week, John. We had to talk about that. There's no other news. <laughs> I have to say, hot topic was popular. Did you Did you see that? I did. Yeah, there was a bit of a warning that was. I tell you. Mm. So, where am I? Let me oh. pull it up. Uh, I am talk. I am talk. I am talk. We're on the Facebook page, which is all good in the hood. Okay, Facebook page, and the hot topic last week was if you could quantum leap into anyone's shoes in any sporting event of all time, so you actually get to be that person. Who would you be, and why? Now, my Facebook is taking for ever to come up is yours up there on it was before but I uh, you know, we're nearly up to 3,000 likes now come on people we need a few more 2,937 yeah we need to push that likes thing yeah yeah sharpen up okay um, okay here we go Gary Fegan Lance Armstrong so then he could listen to This Week in Me <laughs> nice. uh, Sean Barrington Stuart Barrington first sub four minute miler Roger Bannister that would be pretty cool. Mm. That would be pretty cool. Um, Mike Robinson, Ricky Carmichael, motocross and supercross season where he went undefeated in both the name and the goat of the sport. Michael Solomon, Greg Welsh, Ironman winner, first non-American Ironman winner. Oh, yeah. We've got Phil Scott. He's got Bradley Wiggins, winning clean. Marcus Dawes, Mark Allen during the Iron War in 89. Mental grit times 110%. Yeah, that was pretty tough. Um, yep, Sam Newell, he's gone sub four minute as well. Matt, Matt cool. Lipper, I agree with Marcus. Mark Allen doing the Iron War. Um, John Eames, Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan WrestleMania. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty awesome. Come on, you have to admit that. <laughs> Swanee's come back with that one as well. Swanee's got the Ultimate Warrior beating Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 6 with all those steroids pumping through the veins as I received the admiration of the messes. I'd love to see a... Um, I love that match because I loved Hulk Hogan and it broke my heart. I'd love to see where are they now and look at all the... Uh, oh, you can do that, John. Wrestle so Ultimate Warrior is now a motivational speaker. Really? Yeah, all a big time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and he's all the serious guy now and he's, yeah... Yeah, and Hulk Hogan, he's yeah, he's still around. He's still holding on to the to the dream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Keith Sanders, Jesse Owen standing on the podium at the nineteen thirty six Olympics. Nice, that is a pretty good one. Peter Mills got the early eighth round at the Rumble in the Jungle versus Foreman. Tim Gardner, Wigo in the Olympic time trial, or Mo Farah in the Olympic five thousand meters. Um, we've got David Hale, Bolt, hundred meters. Yep. Where are some more triathlon ones? Come on, people. I think, you don't um, want to be a triathlete? John Ellis, bloody car racing. No, John Ellis is a... Have you seen the documentary Center? No. Seriously, it's probably one of the best sporting documentaries you'll ever watch. Like, it is phenomenal. And it's a documentary on his career. And so the, in, this, in the documentary, they have about this race. Now, so John Ellis has got um, Center for the lap in Donington, where he uh, we're in the wet. One of the finest displays of talent you will ever see. I was there and it was stunning. The car was the dog and he just drove past everyone. Total commitment, consummative school. 
uh, YouTube it. So on the documentary, they show basically after the race, he couldn't lift his arms. Something went wrong with the car, and it was wet, it was horrible conditions, and everything went to crap. And he was in the lead, and he basically, I'm not sure if he's in the lead or he had to pass some people in the last lap. And he just destroyed himself. He couldn't, he, like, he, he gets out the car and he can't even move his arms for like 20 minutes. He, like, you see him lifting the trophy afterwards and he was mm. just like, agony. It's, um, it, guys, if you haven't seen the Senna documentary, watch it tonight. I even got the finger point. Yes. Uh, Kevin Colclo. Colclo? Uh, Maca Kona 2007. Having tried for so many years and finally achieved victory must have been amazing. I say Colcloth. Cold cloth. Yep. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, Rich Harris. Yeah, Rich Harris. Phil the Power Taylor clinching to a 17 consecutive pie-eating title. Do you know who Phil the Power Taylor is? No. World's darts champion. Oh, yeah, no, darts, I thought when you said pies, I thought it was different. Yeah, no, I know him. Yeah. yeah. He won again this year. Beat that young Dutch dude, didn't I actually he? watched it. Yeah. Da, 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 hey, hey, hey. I reckon... That would be awesome to go watch the darts because it's just a big piss up, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah. They just yeah. everyone gets drunk and you got all the wives who aren't that flash, but it doesn't matter. Da, 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 sure, yeah. da, sure, the dart, dart playing lovers in this. In oh the come on, now, darts players! Come, you know the truth. Coming back, you know the truth. It's not Formula wives. One chicks. Let's be honest about this. Matt Tench, uh, plus one for Roger Bannister and sub four minute mile. Um, who I've got here I've got um, Tritopia, my five year old sons, imagining knowing what it would be like to be what I wanted to be at five. And Glenn Newbold, just for the Kiwis, Buck Shelfords. Every time I sit down to watch the All Blacks play, um, I hear him call say, "I hear him say, bring back Buck, bring back Buck." So for those of you who don't know, Brett Rogers, he was Buck, Buck Shelford. Buck Shelford. Yeah, Buck Shelford was uh, the Buck All Black Rogers captain. Was off, uh, Tweety, twi- wasn't it? Tweaky or whatever. Yeah, Tweaky was. It wasn't the cool Buck Rogers, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Buck, Ro- Buck, <laughs> Buck Shelford was the All Black captain. He was undefeated as well, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And he was controversially dropped. At, um, at a period of his time, but he was kind of known as a New Zealand hard man. And there's a story where his scrotum mm. ripped open. Yeah. And what did he do? Bugger that, mate. I've got a game to play. Exactly. And he just kept on playing. Yeah. And he didn't stop. Bugger your balls falling at the bottom. I'm going to keep on playing. Right, Bevan, what's your moment? Who are you, you going to quantum leap into? Well, I found this really tough, to be honest, because... I kind of didn't think of anyone that was really obvious. Tell me yours and I'll think of one. Well, I've tried to keep it triathlon specific. Well, um, why? It's a triathlon show. And uh, so there's two, there's two moments that I was... What about Carter? Sorry? Carter? Well, that's why I've got, I've got two moments here. Oh. So one would be um, in Des Moines a few years ago, they end uh, in an ITU World Championship Series race. They ended up having like a five-man sort of sprint finish in Is the last... Is it the one that... That Doherty bombed out Simon Whitfield one. Yeah, there's a great photo of Whitfield across the line. He looks like he's on like the yeah, best yeah. drug ever. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it wasn't the greatest finishing shoot, and they changed it after that. It all got a bit tight and stuff. But there was basically five. Of, there was Gemmel, Fredino, um, I think I think Brad Carterfelt and Simon Whitfield. It was I'm pretty sure there was five of them, and uh, all basically going for a full on sprint finish and uh, so that was one moment where I think it would be really cool because they ran together as five basically the whole way and there would have been a lot of surging and everything like that and then my other one would probably be um, did you see that did you see it live uh, I can't remember if I saw it live I've certainly saw it a few times Um, I didn't go back and check my my stats there but I know Simon Whitfield won and I know Fredino and well there's a great photo there's a sensational photo of um of Whitfield across the line and mm. everyone else is literally falling over and he's just looking like he's on cloud nine. And the other reason for that is 
awesome finish, but also the the prize money at that is like it was like half a million dollars or something ridiculous like that, or two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So it was uh, it would be a cool one to win. And the other one for me, which is uh, yeah, you basically you. you your classic Kiwi moment is uh, Bevan Doherty and Hamish Carter going head-to-head um, with Sven Riedra in the 2004 Athens Olympics and the Kiwis coming out on top. Hamish Carter. Mm. That was pretty cool. Mm. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah. John, yes. 2002, what were you doing? I would have been in the UK working. You, probably may, you may have missed an iconic sporting moment. I may have done. State of origin, mate versus mate, state versus state. State against state. Do you like, do you like cockroaches it? versus the, the... I don't know. The blue, blue versus the maroon. The blues and the maroons, but it's the cockroaches and the... Oh, the cane toads? Is right. cane toads? I don't know, I've never heard of the cockroaches. Oh, well, okay, carry on. Mate against mate, state against state. Yeah. Seriously, state of origin is one of those sporting events that is just a bloody good sport, isn't it? Usually, yep. yep. Do, it's do you always very, very close. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I don't anymore because it's too late at night. <laughs> Seriously, it is. It doesn't start till like probably about 10 or 11 at night. You're up till after midnight. No, no. I did used to watch it from time to time. Did you just love State of O? Yeah, it was, it was good. Alfie Langer, you heard of Alfie Langer? Yes, I, I follow it. Tell people about Alfie Langer. He's a little short halfback. Well, halfback, what do they call it? Yeah, halfback, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah he, he was fly great. half? Yeah. No, not fly half in league. Okay, not in league. It's no. a rugby term. Yeah. So Alfie Langer, little short Australian dude, yeah. played for Brisbane for years, retired, mm-hmm. kind of did his career at Brisbane, went over to play for the Warrington Wolves in the UK, mm-hmm. took them to the Challenge Cup final in 2000. Mm-hmm. The guy was a legend, but he was kind of past his time. Mm-hmm. Back in 2002, he thought he'd come back to Australia for final season, wasn't picked for the state of origin because, you know, he was kind of past his time. But the Blues were destroying the Maroons. Mm-hmm. Game three, Langer comes back, has a blinder. To win the championship, to win the state of 016, I think it was 16 12. Mm-hmm. He was a legend. Went down as one of the greatest state of origin players of all time. To be Alfie in that game, I think would be pretty cool. Cool. Yep. Nice. You like that? Yep. It's all good. Yep. That's good. Yep. There we go. Anyway, John, I'm, have you got a discussion for this week? Or? Well, no, you had a good one last week and I couldn't remember what it was, so I put it in here. Well, didn't we use it? No, I don't think so. No, we had another one. I don't know. Anyway, I said Bevan to try to remember his one from last week's show. So over to you, Bevan. Well, I've actually got a good one. Is it triathlon specific? Yes. Okay, go for it. What, what, what if it wasn't? Mm, maybe to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, I was thinking, you know, like we, we spend so much time training, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you, know, you always talk about the process-driven athlete and, all, you know, all those types of things that, you know, when we think about an Ironman race, you know, from the moment you pretty much get up in that morning, you know, the week before the race, you kind of, putting yourself in the place where you're trying to have the best performance possible. And really what we're trying to do for the majority of an Ironman race is lose emotion and make wise decisions. Would you say that's fair to say, John? For a large part of the race, yes. yes. There comes yeah. a moment... Yeah, yeah, okay, sorry. No, no, no. take me down your train of thought. No, it depends what... Everybody's a little bit different. Some people, emotion helps drive them through, but I don't think you can do a full event on emotion. No, not an Ironman. No. Sprint? you got to... You've got to save that emotion for the downtimes, then start to pull it out. That's right, John. Mm. And that's where I'm going with this. Good. Is, what do you do to train emotion? Oh, Bevan, you're going so deep on us. <laughs> you like that, right? Oh. Like, no, because the thing is, is that we spend all this time developing the physical, we develop mental, and often the mental is based around, you know, 
you know, how do you think in certain situations? How do you analyze your situation right now to make the best decision? You know, how to use the tools that you have, you know, mm-hmm. power, GPS, and all those tools that we have nowadays. We spend so much time developing that. And then that's come a time in the race. And, and often, it's particularly the last point of the race, you know, the, the 15Ks home from the run, the, those really hard moments where at the end of the day, you know, look at your GPS on your watch isn't going to make you go any faster because you're just dying. And you, you have to go. It, it kind of becomes that emotional battle then. And, and I'm curious to see what you guys do to actually develop your emotional game. Or do you just hope that at the moment you're going to be strong? Most people hope that. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you from a coaching perspective. Yeah. They don't even think about it. Yeah. And, 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 and so I'm curious to see, is this, is this the era of our sport that we actually neglect? That actually we should spend some time in our training working on how can I emotionally make myself strong in those tough parts of the race so that when I come to that place, I know that I've got um, some emotional points that I can go to. I can control the emotion that's going to make me, you know, because some people, they go to a negative emotion and it mm-hmm. makes them just give up. And then some people go to this really empowering emotion. And, you know, what are those tools that you use to develop your emotion for those times? And it's particularly in Ironman, because Ironman does really come down to, you know, for the majority of the field out there, you're going to get to that place in the race where you are just absolutely dead and it's only emotions going to get you through. So so I suppose this week's discussion is what do you do to develop your emotional game for racing? And so Bevan, last week you had 53 posts with your discussion. How many do you reckon you get this week? Thousands. Thousands. <laughs> Thousands. A million. This might be our first million post week. Nice. 53. That's pretty good. Yeah. What did we get the week before? Let's have a look at the week before. The week before was a pretty average question. John's. Oh, 19, it's an outstanding question. 19, 19 questions. <laughs> Lots of likes, 60 likes. Really? It's got three likes. Oh, maybe that's the other <laughs> post there. <laughs> that was my post. Ah. No, no, that was the other one that uh, saying my website's up. Oh, that's good. People, Lots of people like that. Good. Okay. Right. Uh, John, sponsor. Athlinks.com. Now, Bevan. That's me. I'm Bevan. Well, it's yeah, it's right. John. And hey, John. Oh, where's my page gone, Bevan? Where's Where? your page gone? There it is, there it is, there it is, there. Uh, if, we, if we look back at Kona last year, Bevan. It was a great time because we were there, first we, of all. Yeah, uh, Pete Jacobs took out the race. Leander Cave took out the race, 9.15.54, if I remember. Pete Jacobs didn't lead out of the swim, did he? Andy Potts did. Why has he got his time highlighted? Hmm, error there. Um, Maybe it's just because he's the overall champion. Maybe. Because I don't think he had the fastest spike split either. Yeah. Not, not bad transitions. Pete Jacobs had the fastest bike split. It's looking that way. Wow. Unless somebody really blew up. Good transitions. 149 in the first transition. Frederick Van Leer lost 12 seconds to him there. And then he uh, not a bad second transition. 202. Can't see anybody under two minutes. That is good. There's a 201 there from Dirk Bockel with a broken hand. Yeah, Dirk Bockel had a pretty good transition. Very good transitions, uh, Pete Jacobs. Took it out in 8 He can claim this on the athletics. He can. Okay. And so what um, other the, What I wanted to do today was to highlight the fastest athletics finishes in Kona. Nice. And they were pretty impressive. So you had Adam Otstot, 30-year-old. Came Where, home. Where's he from? 9-12-38. And he is in the 30-year age group. Goodness me. Did he only get 19th in his age group? With a 9-12? Surely not. Anyway, uh, Adam was the fastest. He's from Williamsburg, VA. What's VA? Is Virginia, that Virginia? Virginia? Yeah, 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 let's take a guess with Virginia. Yep. Nice, 9-12. Second age grouper 
was uh, Kyle Vasson, and third was Nick Baldwin. And they must have known that they were going for it because there's only a minute covering those three age groupers. Very nice. And then on the girls' side of things, we had... <gasps> du, du, du. Wait for it, wait for it. Yeah, waiting, they are. waiting. Christina Jackson, maybe. And she finished very high up. She was. Uh, Tell you what, mate, this is probably the best podcasting we've ever done. It was 9.57.45, but on Christina, 30 year old. Alison Black was second in 10.02, and Private was third in 10.02.40. Good old Private. Okay. <laughs> Somebody doesn't want to share. So really, what I'm highlighting here is uh, is if you want to try to get yourself famous, make sure you get yourself an athlete's profile. And if you finish high at the field, we might read out your name from time to time. Okay, so let's have a look at this. Was quite cool. So if you go to athletes and you have a look at the Kona World Championships 2012 results, they have the average time per age group. Mm, nice. So if we go 25 to 29, the average time was 20. Oh, wow, this is really interesting. So the average time for that age group was 10:24. Hmm. That 101 participants. Average time for the 30-34 is 10-17. Mm-hmm. So they were quicker. And they had 158 participants. 30-39, this would be your age group, John. Average time was 10-32 with 206. Oh, I should be able to nip under Should that. be the average, yep. Yeah. Then the, the biggest age group of all in Kona with 243 participants is 11 hours 01. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty good. And then 50, 45 to 49, 11.30, 50 to 54, 11.50, 55 to 59, 12.38, 60 to 64, 30 and 08. And then we've got 65, 69, 14, 24. And then lastly, 15, 24, 70, 74. Oh, no, wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Wow, 75 to 79, 15. Wow, this is average for that age group. Yeah. 75 to 1543 is the average, and then 1621. So what you can do, whatever race you're going to be doing, uh, you can go back and, and look back at the previous years, whether it's Ironman World Champs, whether it's your local Super Sprint Triathlon, um, whatever it is, it's 7 o'clock. Okay, just quickly. Yeah. What do you think the average pro time was? Uh, I would. Um, guy, are we talking guys here, or is it just a general average well, for pros? I'm thinking it's just saying average. It's got 39 participants, so maybe it's just guys. That'd be guys because there was fifty guys and there was. So I, I would say. Yeah, no, because it's guys. Yep. I'm all gonna, the all the information I just gave out was the male stuff. Um, I'm gonna say average guys was pretty slow year. I'm gonna say eight forty three. You're well off. Well off. Well off. Probably a bit slower, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Eight fifty five. Yeah. What about girls? Girls. First girl was about nine fifteen. Twenty six participants. Twenty six. I'm gonna say. Nine hours fifty. Closer, nine forty seven. Right. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, cool. We're gonna go to an interview. So athlinks.com, check out your averages in your age groups and uh and make sure you claim all your results. Check it out, athlinks.com. Group of the week. Groupers of the week. Groupers of the week. And this one was sent through from good old, who was it sent through from? Tim Richards. Tim Richards. He's got Tim Richards here. I'm contacting you about two worthy athletes for age grouper of the week. Both are doing the 20th consecutive Hell of the West, the HOTW triathlon on the 3rd of February, which was just last weekend. Last weekend before last. Weekend before last. Here's some information about these athletes. Alan Pittman. 
I guess you could call Alan a long distance, a fan of long distance triathlon. He's done 35 Ironman races, 14 in Hawaii. His favourite race is the Hell of the West. He reckons the enthusiasm, the dedication of the committee and volunteers and the atmosphere is still the same as it was 20 years ago. Alan has been coaching the East Coast Psychos for 20 years and runs his own coaching service it's aptriathlon.com. He has mentored some of the world's best, including Pete Jackers, as he is prepared for this year's Kona's win. When he is not training and coaching triathlon, he is running his own landscaping business and is a dedicated father and grandfather. 2013 is a special year for Alan because this will be his 20th Hell of the West. He has won this category 19 years in a row. That's incredible. Oh, that's pretty incredible, which is an amazing effort. It would be nice to have Alan complete the set for 20 consecutive wins. It would almost be surely in, in triathlon. Beats Cam Brown's flipping weak ass. Uh, <laughs> Only 10 in New Zealand. <laughs> Whatever, how many times he's won New Zealand? Um, he's, he's also excited about to be racing with his grand. Daughter Carly. This will be his f- her first triathlon. She's only 19 years old and has been training with the psychos for a couple of months. Number two, Craig Rule. Craig Rules, by the way. Josh Rule. Yeah. Are you bored? No. <laughs> Craig has been completing in triathlons, marathon distance and duathlons, aquathons for over 25 years and this time he has completed Ironman Kona in 1997, five Ironmans at Foster and three at Port Macquarie. His next mission is to finish his 20th consecutive Hell of the West before returning to Port Macquarie for Ironman number 8. Craig has also worked his butt off outside of triathlon scene as a father, triathlon club coach and president of the f- and full-time baker. He owns four different bakeries and works 70 plus hours a week oh, this guy's full on he has one night a week off from baking and coaches his own Ipswich triathlon club every afternoon and Saturday mornings Craig has three children and a son Mitchell Rule who has come back from is that one Gunawundi Gunawundi I'm, I'm lost where you are so yeah for the ninth con- to race the, the Hell of the West ninth consecutive time hoping to equal Craig's 20 st- year streak and finish four Ironmans in the past 19 year history of Craig's streak he has failed to finish the Hell of the West triathlon 18 he, fa- he failed to finish oh, 18 during a training session a week before the race Craig was out on a ride and was hit by a car thus in turn punctured his lungs and broken ribs and left a lot alone on the road a lot of road rash sorry although hurt and injured Craig jumped on the river so that the street could continue unfortunately after being hit in the ribs in the swim he was able to breathe, unable to breathe properly and had to pull out on the bike leg devastated by this he thought the streak had ended although he had not finished 20 although he has not finished 20 of the hell of the races he has started he has made the four hour drive up to the heat every year for the last 20 years bringing club members each time with him Race organisers love Craig and Alan, and we think they're a final example of what our race is all about. Now, they had a bit of an update, didn't they, John? Yep, so Tim sent us a bit of an update. Below is a quick race report. So the two age groupers um, last weekend fared differently. Alan Pittman ended up winning his 20th age group in a row in 4.49. That is phenomenal, and isn't it? To take out the 60 to 64 age group. Uh, and his daughter, his granddaughter also finished, um, but not fast enough to check her grandfather. Maybe next time. Um, poor old Craig Will couldn't make it after 19 years in a row competing at the Hell of the West. Craig's hometown of Ipswich was heavily hit by the floods that ravaged South Queensland the week before the race and couldn't make it up to, st- to had to stay back to help with the clean-up. Oh, it's good um, anyway, we still think he deserves uh, age group of the week for the previous 19 years. But it's kind of cool 
when you know, like, because you do kind of you have those annual events that you kind of just tick along every year, don't you? And to win, for, first of all, for Alan, to win 20 years in a row, that is absolutely crazy, isn't it? And yeah, sometimes those records, you might think oh, they're going from the 60 age group to 80, and yeah. there's not many competitors, but he's gone from the 40s, where always pretty competitive, even back back in the day, it was still would have been really competitive. You're in Australia, no matter what race you're going up against, you're going to have some pretty decent yep. guys there. So that's outstanding to do the same race that many times, be that successful every year. Very impressive. And Craig, you know, obviously, unfortunately, big things are happening in your part of the world right now, but, you know, just to turn up every year and just to compete and, I don't know, it's pretty crazy, you know, like... And that race as well, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a well-known race in Australia. They get some good athletes this year. Ollie Whistler took it out from Tim Burkle and Luke Harrison. And on the girls' side of things, Sarah Cowley took it out. Um, but they have you know, plenty of good athletes that go to that race from, from time to time. So it's an iconic race, and it's put on in a, in, a, in a great little area by the sounds of it. And you have some legendary athletes there in uh, Craig Rule and Alan Pittman. You are a... Uh, Age Grippers of the Week. Okay, sponsor John, what about SLS Try? Tell us about them. SLS Try. I was just on there before checking out all their compression gear. Uh, let me just get my page up. Uh, so you're going to get some compression gear. They've got the fancy socks. I've got some new um, designs coming out with their socks, but you got your compression socks, 54 bucks, good deal. Or if you don't want to have the full sock version, you got the compression day sleeves, a la Pete Vabrusik, um and Chris McDonald both wear those when they when they race. You've got your compression shoes shorts to keep your quads um, tight if you're uh, if you just want to have something a little bit different and I haven't tried these yet there's your compression quads which basically are just a little sleeve to cover your quads oh, nice. You've got your bib shorts compression tri race women's compression shorts the full leg sleeve cycling um, compression sort of legs and then you've got your full compression type which I've told you lots of times about how I sleep in all the time so if you want to get your full range of compression gear get on to slstry.com use the code IMTALK and as I've said a few times we're going to be having the full range of IMTALK gear coming out uh, this year which you'll be able to get across America at any races and order online as well so wait look out for that but remember the code IMTALK get yourself some gear for the the upcoming season or your northern hemisphere athletes slstry.com check, check, check it out guys and you're going to look cool, and that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. I love their black and white, you know, they've got the, the stitching and all that sort of stuff. It's just cool, John, isn't nice. it? The compression race tri suit looks good. I've been, I've been doing a bit of running lately. Yeah. Think about doing a half marathon. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. And uh got my compression socks on. What are you going to knock a half marathon in? John, I'm not that fast. Yeah. Probably about 117. 117, come on. Pick up your game. Well, based on my case splits right now, it's 117. Yeah. I've got eight weeks. Eight weeks. Got to go sub 115, easy. Well, really, that's the aim. Yeah. 115 is the aim, but I don't know if that word easy will go into it. Okay. Let's, let's just... It's just funny, I'm just not that run fit, you know? Like, I really had the Dabble Tasman two years ago. Yeah. And I hadn't, I haven't ran at all, really, since then. And, you know, like, I'm always fit, but, you know, like, you're not conditioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've ran, I've done two weeks of training, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically doing a, a half marathon program, so the longest run I'm going to do is only 25Ks. Like, I'm not going to do crazy training. Yeah. Um, but I'm enjoying it, but definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm just not that, as fast as what I was. So it'll be interesting to see, based on the times I'm doing right now, 117 seems to be about right. But, yeah, realistically, with another eight weeks behind me, I should be able to get down to 115. 115 is averaging 3 minutes 33k. So let's see you averaging 330, shall we? 
So one, what does one fourteen give so you? So when I'm doing my, my faster kind of intervals right now, one fourteen flat is three minute thirty k's. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I one fifteen seems pretty hard when you say it like that. Yeah, I can comfortably sit around one three forties. Yeah. But just a, it's a big difference. Those few seconds make a big oh, yeah. difference at there. Ten seconds. Like I was doing some intervals the other day. I was doing. I did a session where you go. Um, it was warm up. Then you go four, four at kind of hard, and then two moderately hard, and then four hard, two moderately hard, six hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I was going to the two minutes on, I was absolutely kind of feeling like I was killing myself. Yeah. I was only going about ten seconds a k faster. It works so hard for so little speed. Exactly. Oh, I break my heart. Exactly. Yeah, so good times rock and roll. So yep. So I think I might do the Wanaka race. So been doing a bit of training. I'll be. I'll be good. I'm, I'm trying. I want to make sure I train well for it, and then see how I go on race day. No excuses. No excuses. Okay, John. But we've got an interview coming up. John, it's an interesting interview. We've got Norman Norton, sorry, Hedler. And Jenny Robinson help, uh, helped pick this up. She was actually the one that instigated uh, me looking at uh, that movie that I watched ages ago. China Study? Planet Eat. It was more the movie that motivated me than the China Study just to be taking a slightly more um, plant-based diet. Well, um, Norton really doesn't believe it. Well, I believe it. And that's all that matters, according to Norton. Okay? <laughs> that's all that matters. You guys are about to find out. Here's, here's Norton. Uh, we'll talk about it afterwards. Okay, today we've got uh, Norton Hadler on. He's a specialist physician with uh, a truckload of experience as a professor at the um, University of North Carolina uh, and a practicing rheumatologist and a keen cyclist from, from what I hear. Um, also got a number of uh, books out we'll talk about later, including The Last Well Person. And uh, good old Jenny helped us line up this interview because we've had so many different ideas floating around um, relating to nutrition and she thought Norton might be able to give us another insightful opinion so uh, welcome along to the show Norton. Pleasure to talk to you John. Hey um, as I said in the the intro there one of the things myself and a lot of the the listeners have been grappling around is, is all these different diets that are out there you know Specific to, to triathletes, we, we have Tim Noakes sort of very much promoting a, um, a sort of an Atkins type diet, which is very high in fat, um, high in meats, uh, low carbohydrate diet. And then we have the other camp that we've had on the show quite often, um, sort of more, um, you know, your plant-based diets and, and probably what most people would consider um, to be a very healthy diet. Where do you sort of sit on this, um, I, don't, I guess, this medium of, of almost a vegetarian diet versus the, versus the Atkins diet in terms of, I don't know, general well-being, maybe not looking at it from an um, athletic perspective straight away? Well, I sit on the sidelines as a very amused observer. <laughs> uh, before we, we talk about this, we got to put some constraints on the topic. Um, we're not talking about ill people. We're only going to be talking about well people. Mm. And uh, we're going to be talking about elite athletes later on because, believe it or not, we have the least information when it comes to elite athletes. But we know a lot about recreational athletes and your average human being uh, and a lot about um, what we can and can't study. Mm. This is um, an admission on behalf of the Western Medical Establishment that not all questions, that even important questions, lend themselves to adequate scientific analysis. 
And uh, some of these life course questions, which is what we're talking about here, we're not talking about last night's meal, we're talking about factors that we encounter in the course of living. That's called life course epidemiology. And some aspects of life course epidemiology do not lend themselves to study when you're looking for small effects. And the reason is that we're all very different. Not only are we all very different, but we are all very different day by day and year by year and decade by decade. And that's why we have poets. And when you have that much variability, trying to find small effects and small influences are a way to lead with your chin. My, my fav one of my favorite studies was done by a group of epidemiologists at the University of Toronto where they have access to the Ontario database on health outcomes, diagnoses, and who died and how they died, why they were hospitalized. And for the fun of it, with uh, this is a group of seven people, so there were seven tongues and seven cheeks, they asked, I wonder if there's a correlation between astrological signs and health effects. <laughs> Well, when you uh, go through a large data set looking for small associations and small effects, you can find them. I mean, I, I forget exactly what the p-value, the statistical value turned out, but I think if I recall correctly, Sagittarians in Ontario were more likely to have had a bleed in their intestines. <laughs> I think Leo was more likely to fracture an arm. Yeah. So. Obviously, this, this is done just to show how difficult it is to go into large experiences uh, looking for small influences and come out with anything that's likely to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And if you have enough studies and enough data and enough sitting in, in front of your computer and willing to run correlations, you're bound to find a bunch of them. After all, we accept statistical significance at about five times in a hundred. Mm. So if you do a hundred statistical tests, five of them are going to look like they were improbable. Mm. But they're not improbable. You expect five of them to turn out to be different. Mm. Statistically significantly different on the basis of chance alone. Mm. So it's no surprise that you're confused. Mm. And the reason you're confused is the literature is confusing. And the reason the literature is confusing is it ought to be. This is a very difficult notion to imagine that we can take a 20-year-old a or a 30-year-old or a 60-year-old and come to some handle on all of the life course variables and pick one of them, like whether or not they eat codfish, mm. and say, therefore, you shouldn't eat codfish. So that, that's our, our first proviso, that it's very, very hard to do life course epidemiology and come up with reproducible studies. Mm. Uh, the second proviso is that um, we need to understand, we, all of us, that there's an extraordinary difference between the health of the person and the health of the people. The health of the person is actually very important. In fact, in terms of life course epidemiology, one of the biggest health risks is not to feel comfortable in your skin. And we can measure that with a number of global effects. For example, if you are in a job you hate or if you're being downsized, we can measure health effects. Mm. Uh, for example, 
if you um, feel in, in your heart of hearts that you're not a well person and that your doctors look at from gitch to gatch and do every test known to man and there's nothing they can find wrong with you, but you think you're not well, guess what? You're going to die sooner. There are there are those kinds of of measures. There's also measures of socioeconomic status. All of these are life cost course variables that are very global. For example, when we pick apart socioeconomic status, it's not your purchasing power. It's your purchasing power relative to people in your microecology. So it has you can go state by state, province by province, you can go region by region in a city like Los Angeles. And the bigger the distance in purchasing power between the higher ups and the lower ups, uh, the sooner the poorer people die. Same thing is true with neighborhood quality. There's a whole bunch of these things that are easy to measure and impossible to parse. It's like asking what's love, Mm. which is why I talk about it as comfortable in your skin. So these are important notions, and if you're somebody who who loves to overdose on tofu because you're convinced it's terrific, and you have a reasonably balanced diet so you're not getting depleted of nutrients, so be it. That doesn't mean that tofu is good for the health health of the people. So we need two concepts. (laughs) One is we don't have to yell at each other. The other is that life course variables are exceedingly hard to isolate and um, dodgy to study, even in terms of diaries and in terms of all the other variables, which is what happens, which is why you can tear apart any one of these studies. You can Mm. rip apart the China study, you can rip apart Atkins, you can rip apart Ornish, because they're, they're basically doing things that are multivariate and they're picking one tiny variable out of the mix. So for the health of the people, um, I I just want you to have a reasonable diet. I'm not even worried if you're chunky. By the way, we've redone the WHO uh, risk factor of BMI. I don't know if you're aware of that. No. I started working on that a decade ago. It's now pretty clear. The classic study is you want to have a BMI between 18 and a half and 25, and that's good. And if you have a BMI under 18 and a half, you're too thin, and you'll die three to four years sooner than your birth cohort. And if you have a BMI over 35, you're morbidly obese, and you will die five to 10 years sooner than others in your birth cohort. And the extremes hold up no matter what we do with the data. But what hasn't held up is the other advice, that if you have a BMI between 25 and 30, you're overweight and that's bad. And between 30 and 35, you're really overweight and you're obese and that's even worse. Well, first the Canadians had 10,000 healthy people that they followed for a decade. the Australians did the same, and so did we in the States. And what we found when these studies were done is that the risk was really flat. In fact, if anything, being overweight was a little bit better for you in terms of how long you were going to live. Now, why the discordance? How did this happen? Well, the difference is that these investigators took a look at their data sets and said, I wonder what happens if we factor in socioeconomic status. And if you factor in socioeconomic status, 
the risk that we thought related to BMI goes away. So in, in our culture now, at least in Canada and Australia and the States, the, the more obese you are, uh, the more likely you're to be in the lower quintiles of socioeconomic status. And the thinner you are currently, the more likely you are to be able to afford Lycra and afford the time to exercise. Hmm. It's interesting, a century ago, if you were thin, you were poor and died sooner. <laughs> if you're thin, you're wealthier and live longer. So there, there are important variables that no one is talking about in this heated debate on whether or not you can eat your way to health. By the way, the debate today is far less colorful than it used to be. It's gone on. I actually bring it back to the Stone Age because that's when people first learned how to process food. That's when they fermented sugars and made beer. Mesopotamians drank it out of buckets with straws. I mean, this, this uh, looking to eat your way into health goes back forever. A century ago, the fun ones, fun in, in quotations, were Graham when he invented his cracker, Dr. Graham's cracker, and Kellogg when he invented cornflakes. Yeah. Those were health foods. They were purveyed as health foods. They were marketed as health foods. They're actually marketed by characters who we would call kinky today, but that's another story. They, in fact, were designing things for longevity so you could eat your way to health. Yeah. And if you don't think marketing isn't playing a role in this debate today, you're wrong. In fact, there have, <coughs> excuse me, there have been some lovely studies where people have looked at <coughs> the dietary recommendations uh, as a function of the sponsor of the study. Mm-hmm. This is pharmaceuticals too. For pharmaceuticals, any any drug that is studied with industry support is far more likely to be positive than the same drug studied with federal support. Funny and that. that's <laughs> the case with almost all the nutritions. So the ones who think milk are terrific tend to have the dairy council. And if you look at the fine print at the end of the paper, sponsored by. And the ones that think meat is terrific, tend to have the Cattlemen's Association, and, and this is people, this is not not necessarily malfeasance, it's um, you're dealing with very small effects, you're dealing with data sets that are sloppy, you're trying to analyze the data, and you have a preconceived notion, as opposed to real science, which is always saying, I have a preconceived notion, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to disprove it. If there's conflictual issues going on, it's a little harder to be a purist than disproving your preconceived notion. So that's why there's an awful lot of marketing that's that's bothering you, and there's an and and I personally don't care what you eat. So, so that's so yeah. If we take that point there, for if people are out there grappling, going, well, I've been lots of people telling me I should go down the, the paleo path, or other people saying, look, the Atkins ones. Right, is it, is what you're saying really is it within some you know considering most triathletes are going to be somewhat following somewhat healthy guidelines, it doesn't me, ma- matter too much. Let me interrupt you. Now we haven't gotten to elite athletes and performance athletes yet. Yeah, uh, we've been talking about well people who can be recreational athletes or not. 
I mean, you know, that's another socially constructed health notion that yeah. it's really good to be a recreational athlete. We don't have data for that. It's very hard to show. I mean, I'm a cyclist. I'm not in your category. I just happen to like the bicycle and think a lot when I'm cycling. Yeah. That's why I cycle the same loop every time because I know every pothole and every dog. And I've had a wonderful two weeks of cycling your South Island, which I consider close nice. to Nirvana. <laughs> so we, we haven't been talking about elite athletes or performance athletes. And as I said at the very introduction, we, we ought to have superb data. Yeah. Because that's we, we take care of a lot of variables with an elite athlete for a number of reasons. Number one is the outcome measure is not how long you guys live. It's whether you won the race. Mm. that's an easy thing to measure mm. <laughs> how long you live takes a long time to measure because none of you guys are going to drop dead unless somebody runs you over hopefully mm. not run you over and hopefully not drop dead so this actually can be done and, and you live in the world of sectarian health everybody has their notion of how to run faster or cross country ski faster or endurance athletes are, are a cult and um, it, it's fascinating that this can be studied. I've had an ongoing debate with sports medicine physicians involved with the IOC about EPO and blood doping, and where I look them in the eye and I say, that's got to be a placebo. And when I say that, they get very angry at me and they say something like, you don't know the data, Hadler. And of course I know the data. I mean, I'm a data maven. That's what I do is study evidence. And I said, no, I'm aware that if you take a performance athlete, an elite athlete in the laboratory and run their blood count up uh, uh, short of a dangerous level, you can get a 1% increase in performance. And you can do that with EPO or blood transfer, particularly EPO, in a randomized control fashion because the injection is not painful and you don't know what I'm injecting. I could be injecting saline or I could be injecting EPO. And therefore, 1% is the difference between a gold and a silver or a silver and a bronze. And everybody laughs at me and says, of course, this has to be something that everybody ought to take. By the way, that's why the companies that make EPO produce about three times the amount internationally that we can calculate any medical indication for. Wonder where that stuff's going. <laughs> so, so the so the what I tell the the sports medicine physicians is that even though all of you in the cult of elite athletes think of yourselves as machines. If you step back, you realize actually there's a person on top of the bicycle or who's in those running shoes. And there are good days and bad days and you know about them and you fight with your spouse or your significant other or you had a bellyache or you're really anxious or today is you're in the zone, whatever it is. And I bet you those variables are much more than 1%. So I bet you that if we ever did a randomized controlled trial of the Finnish versus the Norwegian cross-country ski teams, <laughs> or, or split the Finnish ski team. It's easy to design one of those, or some cycling one, where half of them got EPO and the other half got saline injections, and nobody knew what, and we monitored their blood counts. We, they didn't kill themselves with EPO. That's the horror of it. If you run your blood count up too high, you'll sludge your blood, and that's how they die. Mm. I bet you well, you'll, you'll have trouble statistically finding a health effect of EPO. Well, 
welcome Catch-22 in Yosarian. Whenever I mention that, they say, well, we can't do that kind of study because EPO is illegal. Mm. So to which I say, oh, terrific. So you're not going to do the study and you're going to have a tremendous number of athletes using it illegally, most of whom are not elite. I mean, it's in high schools, it's in universities, athletes, it's all over the place. There's a tremendous amount of doping going on, all because of the myth that if you didn't do it, you couldn't compete. So, so in terms of some aspects of the elite athlete, we actually could do the studies, but no one's really willing to do the studies. You can do it actually with food, too, because you can puree food. So all you need to do is have a group of athletes say, gee, I really want to get to the bottom of this. I mean, will I outperform the other person if I eat protein or if I eat, I'm a vegan or whatever, and puree them and have it so it smells the same and say, are you willing to go on this diet, which we now have calculated caloric protein intake, not going to get in trouble with it. It has all the nutrients you need. It even accounts for the fact that you elite athletes need a hell of a lot more calories than almost any other human being. You know, you're doing marathons. That's uh, you know, I, I, in, in my next book, the one that's coming out this month, I talk about exercise and donut equivalents. And most recreational athletes work out for an hour and a half or two hours as one donut. Mm. You guys <laughs> work out and you actually will have a, a, a real caloric demand. A bunch of donuts. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's important that at, at your level of performance that there is real consideration of the, the caloric intake. Uh, and at your level of performance, you could actually ask a scientific question with a very different outcome than, is this healthy for the population? Meaning, will they live three months longer if they never eat another piece of steak? We're asking, in your case... Will you win the race? And that could be studied. So a lot of, um, and again, we're trying to sort of uh, grapple our way through the the marketing hype and, and different people that get themselves into the media. But there's so many, you know, superfoods that, that seem to be coming out these days, quinoa and all these sorts of things. You know, in your experience, is, is again this sort of marketing hype um, rather than foods that are going to give you this, this massive boost? <laughs> the answer is um, step back and ask how, how would it be possible, how could it be possible to be anything more than a placebo effect? And by the way, there is something called the placebo effect. For almost all subjective outcomes, if, if you uh, have a population that believes and purveyors who believe, about a third of people will have a subjective outcome. I'm not sure they'll have an elite performance outcome, but they'll say, gee, I feel much better today that I've had my dose of kale. Mm. All right? and, and as I said, that's the difference between the health of the person and the health of the people. If you feel better on kale, more power to you. I mean, it makes no sense biologically. It's um, the fact that one of our best grocery marketers in the country in terms of the outcome of profitability has decided that kale is the most nutritious food available, to which I say it is very hard for me to keep a straight face. I, mean, I, I just can't. That's ridiculous. So, so I suppose the question I have then is, you know, you, you're kind of 
dispelling a lot of you know hype that you believe kind of put around all these different topics when it comes to nutrition and it's let's look at two angles let's look at the everyday person and the athlete what's what is your advice my advice yeah um, you know there um there's a tremendous range of of sensible diet uh, and and then there are there are diets that are not sensible, but you better make sure if you if you're doing if you're partaking that you're you have adequate nutrition. Don't be a vegan without vitamin supplementation, for example. There, um, I, I just think we're having the wrong debate. <laughs> I, I you know I, I think we ought to step back and talk an awful lot about, for example, we don't even have reproducible good data about sodium intake. There's some fascinating data about sodium restriction being harmful. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the, the cholesterol myth is a cholesterol myth. I mean, it, it is, you, your blood cholesterol is a risk factor, but for the outbred population that doesn't have a genetic disease, it's a minimal risk factor, number one. Number two, if you drop your cholesterol and you're otherwise well with statins or any, it, it, it makes no discernible difference. The best data we can come up with is if we, um, if we have uh, over a hundred men on statins for five years, we won't save a single life. We may spare one or two, a non-fatal heart attack, but that's a very, even that's a tiny effect. I'm not sure that's real. So there's an awful lot. This is not the the major issue in terms of your life course epidemiology. The major issues in terms of your life course epidemiology, aside from things that happen unpredictably, like oh, you develop kidney disease. God forbid you develop congestive cardiomyopathy. I mean, there are a lot of bad things that happen to people. We don't know how to avoid them or predict them particularly well. But in terms of life course, in a, in a resource-advantaged world, and by the way, that's the other proviso of all of my comments, is that it's for the resource-advantaged world. In epidemiology, we talk about the epidemiology watershed. It's the countries where it's safe to drink the water. Other play in Java, this conversation is not an issue. It's infectious disease and poverty and a whole bunch of things that overwhelm this conversation. But in a world like we live in, that we're fortunate enough to live in, a lot of the health issues relate to these notions of how, how you fit in, how you function, how disaffected you feel or not. And those are major health considerations. For example, some of the most impressive data we have on health adverse effects that happen in the resource advantaged world short of HIV AIDS and, and going to war again is downsizing. Downsizing may do wonders for the stock market but it kills people and it's easy to measure. We've had data going back 20 years. We now have lots of data. Very easy and it has nothing to do with what you ate for, or any other health adverse behavior, so-called. For example, longevity went down in Russia by 10 years within a decade of the fall of the Berlin Wall. That population lost almost 10 years of likely longevity. 
And it had nothing to do with health adverse behaviors because they were maximum before the wall went down and they stayed maximum after. They couldn't smoke more, they couldn't drink more, they couldn't have a bigger gut-butt ratio, they couldn't have higher, all of the litany. So there's something else. And the something else is hard to define. It's not simply every day I whistle on the way to work. It's something about the way we live together. Something about social cohesiveness. Something about feeling comfortable in your skin. Hmm. And these other things are marketing. So um, tell us a bit about your your books that are coming out. And if people want to sort of understand where you're coming a bit coming from a bit more what's your what's tell us about your book that's coming out and maybe your other book um the last well person right well i'm, I'm a, a very traditional academic uh, uh, in a lot of ways i mean I've, I've been on this faculty for 40 years and i do a lot of research and a lot of teaching and i do a lot of bedside teaching and that's what i care most about and then about 10 years ago it occurred to me a little over that uh american medicine was losing its moral compass. Now I know I say American medicine because I've been visiting professor in Christchurch, I've spent a lot of time in Australia, I've spent two years in Britain, a lot of time in Canada, a semester in Paris, a semester in Israel. It's we, we have the problem in America. Unfortunately we're exporting it, but we developed it in the past 20 years. And the problem we developed is that we've generated a tremendous amount of information about what does and doesn't work and we seem to be willing to force our system to be profitable even if it doesn't work. So the disconnect between what would be considered 21st century evidentiary-based medicine uh, and what is going on in my country is horrendously discordant. Uh, Very profitable for those people who are making profit, but horrendously discordant. And of all the options I had, the one I took was to write a series of seven books. Because I'm an educator, and these books are written for the general audience, uh, but they're not simple books. Most of them, the ones that are out, like Last Well Person, Worried Sick, Stabbed in the Back, and Rethinking Aging, those are the the four that are out. They all have 500 to 1,000 references. In fact, the first two were written as double books, there's a chapter and a shadow chapter, and the shadow chapter takes you through the numbers and teaches you how to read the data. And the first one, Last Well Person, was on medicalization, which is what some, something of what we're talking about now. Medicalization is the notion that um, it is a myth to think that you're going to live forever and never have a problem. In fact, uh, as I like to teach, uh, the death rate is one per person. <laughs> And um, I actually don't care what kills me. I care when and what the journey was like. And we're having a a lot more information in the past 20 years on on this notion of what's the journey like. We have a lot of information on when, too. And what's the journey is like is um, very different from what we've come to understand this health. It's a different notion of health. If anybody goes a year without a backache, that's abnormal. If you go three years without shoulder neck pain, pushing to being abnormal. Uh, heartache, heartburn, headache, feeling blue, if you don't have that every year, that's abnormal. So the notion of health is not to avoid every morbid event possible, but it's to have the wherewithal to cope with them when they happen. 
if you can't, there's a medical option, but if you can, and most of the time we know from community epidemiology, people can, they cope so well that they don't even remember the last event. And if we turn that kind of event into a medical condition for no good reason, that's called medicalization. So last well person is a discussion of medicalization. Worried sick is a discussion of what I call type two medical malpractice. Type one medical malpractice, everybody understands. That's when you needed something done to you and somebody botched it up. That's medical malpractice type one. Type two is when we do something to you that you never needed, even if we do it well. And that's the scourge of American medicine, a tremendous amount of the things we do to people. Uh, we have a, an, a, an informative science that says, shouldn't have done that. There's a colleague of mine who's been yelling at me for years that I ought to invent type three medical malpractice, which is doing the unnecessary poorly. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna stick with just type two, which is doing the <laughs> And that's worried sick. Stab in the back is my a lot of my own research for many years um, that relates to the, the social construction of the backache. When we turned it into an injury, why we turned it into a, a major catastrophic event uh, at times. And at times, it's just a pain in the back. And so Stab in the Back is an object lesson book that uh, takes you through the notion of backache and its history and how we have... In fact, my first visit to New Zealand was for your ACC. <laughs> yeah. Because I studied, I, I started my career as a physical chemist and got totally fascinated with this word disability. <clears throat> so, oh, a tremendous amount about compensation systems and disability systems. And in fact, um, my first visit to Wellington was for the World Health Organization studying backache and arm pain in a number of countries. And that stabbed in the back. And then rethinking aging is like worried sick, except worried sick was aimed at the working age adult. And rethinking aging picks up with what I call the aged worker, which is not necessarily old. It's aged, A-G-E-D, like a good wine. Hmm. And health issues for being an aged worker and what that means. And then goes right on through issues that relate to frailty and death and dying. The next one is called citizen patient, and it comes out next week. Awesome. Okay. Um, I'm picking all of those will be available on, on Amazon. And we know you've got to get on to, a, to another call. But, I mean, just any sort of parting words for, for athletes? You know, they're always, I don't know, just any sort of parting advice you've got for, for, for athletes? Um, yes. I mean, you know, you're, you're blessed with a good deal of health by definition. And uh, you all are worried that you will lose that blessing. And I would urge you to step back and say, gee whiz, isn't it nice I can do what I can do? And that this, is, this world that we live in is not a world of health minefields. It's a world that we're very fortunate to live in, where the first generation, mine is the first generation in the history of the world that could hit age 60, 65, and worry about what you're going to do for the next 20 years that most people will do very, very well. This is what our data looks like. Uh, most of our problems relate to societal issues and not to health issues, and we're being medicalized far too much. Awesome. Enjoy. Awesome. awesome mate. Yeah, thanks no, for your time. Thank you very much for your time. We know you've got to get on to another course, so uh, that's given us a bit more to think about. So thanks again. Um, that's Norton Hadler.
Okay, John, so I think you went into this interview thinking, this guy's going to be on my side a little bit here. He's, He's going to back me up. Give me all the answers. Because <laughs> the way you asked the questions, <laughs> you were so trying to lead him in a certain direction. You know, so tell me about this paleo stuff. You know, what do you think? What do you think? And, and he kind of he basically just said, look. Believe it, people. Believe what you're eating. So it was kind of, he wasn't really that clear. And, and I, I tried to come and say, well, what, what were you saying? And he was very vague in his advice. And, and I think really, if we can decipher what he was saying was, Food actually isn't that much of an influence on health, mm. and um, that we're worried so much about that. That you know, most diets is kind of you're okay, as, obviously, mm. as long as you're not too stupidly extreme in certain levels, that you're going to be okay. And if anything, the message I seem to decipher from it was try to remove stress from your life and try to just be happy and content with your life. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's what he's saying? Yes, I think we don't pay enough time. Enough time, and it fits in nicely with your discussion of the week this week. It really uh, was when you were saying yeah. it. I was like, "Am I a genius or what?" <laughs> so, I th- <laughs> but I, I agree with. Uh, yeah, I think the thing that came out for me is yes. Um, look after, you know, spend a bit more time looking after your emotional well-being. And, oh, I think uh, it's such an important thing. Uh, but then the second thing for me that came out is believe it. And if I believe that my diet at the moment, which is more going to more, more plant based um, diet, is going to work for me, it probably from what he's saying, it probably will. But work then, for then me. you can't disregard the paleo based on that as well. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, if for me to to even try to take say the uh, so no, no sort of side of things of all that meat and what have you, it just grosses me out, and I just like it just doesn't sit but right you love with me. Meat? Well, not for I breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, baked bacon. Bacon and eggs in breakfast time? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm not a paleo dude, but come on, man. Bacon is good. Yeah, but I'd, I'd wear, it's a treat for me. Oh, man. No. I, could, I could eat bacon every day of my life. And so, so that if, again, if you believe in that. But what, what, what's really interesting is, uh, let's explore this topic a little bit. So, like, if you're looking at him and he's saying, really, food's not the problem. Actually, it's more socioeconomic things. There's these bigger, bigger issues have much bigger influence on our health hmm. than food. Um, if that's what we're taking from that discussion. Now, he, he was he, he was an interesting character because a lot of it was he was just like to prove the fact that we aren't doing things right. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't really saying, well, what should we do, which which yeah. you know, which would have been nice to get more of it out of him, but he didn't really want to go down that path. So so when we talk about mental well-being, there is that set of those rules that you have around nutrition that when you're doing them, you know you're eating well. So, mm-hmm. for example, Joe and I went to Australia last week and – you know, my my weakness in life, because I don't do drugs or alcohol or any of those things, it's it's quite easy for me to say no to those things, is Coke Zero. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it is. It's the one yeah. thing in my life where if I'm going to go OTT on something, it's going to be a Coke Zero. And when I'm at home, I, I may have Coke Zero at the weekend. Yeah. And like on a Saturday, I'll have some Coke Zero. When he goes to Kona, he has like about four cans a day. Five, oh, five, I'll probably yeah. have two litres a day at least, yeah. you know. And, and I have this thing when I go away, I'm like, oh, you know, well, I'm going to go OTT on Coke Zero. So like last week, OTT on Coke Zero. And... You know what, sure, if I was doing that all my life, it's probably not a good way to live your life. You know, obviously there's no sugar in Coke Zero, but there's definitely chemicals that, you know, maybe long-term, who knows. But I know that there's there's a mental side of drinking that much Coke Zero, which there's a little bit of guilt that sits inside my head. Mm. You know, it, and so, so if we're looking at Norton's kind of thinking around it, the cost of that guilt is probably the bigger issue than necessarily drinking that much Coke Zero mm-hmm. is kind of what he's saying. Now, when I come back home, I go back to normal living. That's no Coke Zero is no much of a problem. Occasional habit, but it's all good. But the thing is, is that <laughs> you talk like it's a drug. Well, it is in a way. Yeah, it's my weakness. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we all have that weakness, don't we? Salt and vinegar chips. 
So you know what I mean? And yeah. if you were to eat certain vinegar chips every day, you'd, it, you know, like it is, you know, it's, mm. it was just I come from a very addictive quality lifestyle, so I know what it's like to to be a druggie and I know what it's like to be in kind of like an alcoholic. So I, it's those same kind of thoughts I have around cooks. Anyway, so then you say, okay, well, those are the rules you set around your life about when you feel good about your new diet. And so I suppose the message maybe is what are your rules and how do you stick to those rules so that it puts you in a mental place where you don't feel bad all the time about what you're eating. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people have a certain criteria around what they think good nutrition is. And if Norton is saying that the nutrition is not such a big thing, it's more than well-being that you feel about yourself, what are those rules that you set for yourself and are you staying from those rules so that the positive effect of that on your emotional well-being is good? Mm. You know, because we do have those times when we are eating shit food all the time or we're breaking our own rules. And really, a lot of the downside of that is the negative effect of the, the mental side of ourselves. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have that period where you're drinking Coke Zero five litres a day and you kind of go in at night and you go, oh, I shouldn't be drinking that much. Mm. And really, maybe the goal is with well, nutrition is to try to lose that mental side of feeling bad about yourself. Yes. Your thoughts, Sean? I, I agree 100%, Bevan. You do? Yeah. I think you're a bit gutted. What? Uh, yeah, it's nice to have some answers. <laughs> it's, it's nice to go eat this and you're going to smoke it but it sounds like yeah I just uh, I don't know for me academia is I, an interesting thing but isn't it because I, I, you know I didn't really go down the academic path because it was a bit thick but um, there was a joke by the way you meant to say <laughs> yeah um, no but you know it, it, it's so contradictory of each other isn't oh, it yeah you know yeah, and so how do you get the right answer yeah you know like you, and that was one of my questions I said you know, how do we grapple through all this because he was kind of saying marketing, you get marketing on one side, then you got academics on the other side, and it's like, well, what the hell? What we watched a really good do documentary when we were in Australia called um, The Greatest Movie Ever Sold. Mm. You know the guy who did Supersize Me, the, the McDonald's? Michael Moore, was it? No, no, that no. was um, Morton Sturlock. Right, okay. Did you see that? We ate McDonald's for a month. Yeah, I think I did. It was a pretty good doco. Yeah. And um, he's done one recently about a year and a half ago called The Greatest Movie Ever Sold, and he's looking about home marketing around how – Big companies that are now using movies, TV, and all those types of things mm. to market to us. And uh, it was just fascinating look at how marketing influences our life. Seriously, if you get a chance to check it out. It was very, very good. Mm. Anyway, John, let's move on. Let's move on. John, uh, it's going to okay, be a long co- show. Well, no, let's put it in Coffees of Hawaii. Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, John, actually, in two days, isn't it? So you probably missed out on your coffee by now. Keep talking because I need to plug the computer in. Yeah, okay. So Valentine's Day is coming up. They may well still be selling this after Valentine's Day, but uh, flowers last but a few days. Give your sweethearts a gift of fresh roasted coffee from the islands and they'll be thinking of you for weeks. John. Yes. What you could do, because let's be honest, some people are going to listen to this after Valentine's Day and a few of you listening to this right now, probably the majority know I mean athletes, have forgot uh, Valentine's Day. Yes. And you need to redeem yourself, don't you? Yes. And so what do you do? get some coffee that's right John yeah. you go to coffees of Hawaii what were you reading I was looking at the Valentine's Day roast oh it's a medium dark roast that's smooth yet delicate hints of cacao with a velvety finish when have you most disappointed Belinda with a present oh um I got her this uh <laughs> at Christmas it was two years ago I got her this sort of I knew she wanted some sort of jewellery box one and it, it really did not cut the mustard really it, it, it basically just 
it was straight out of there. <laughs> really? What, what, what? You chose the jewelry box? Yeah, it was just. And it was, it was a pretty simple one. It was. It, well, I didn't go to any special place. I just went to to farmers and <laughs> and I just thought she wanted something. You know, just, just really to put it in just, here. To, just to shove just it up. Just a storage there. unit. Not, not a not a dis, nothing fancy display. It wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't like it to wasn't put on good. The, the dresser. It really wasn't good. Really? No, it did not go down. And well. what would you do? Is, is Belinda at least do the whole? Courteous, thanks, babe. I love you, and then just never use it, or did she let you know? No, she. she <laughs> no. What about you? What are you, are you Bevan? I don't think I've done too bad with presents. Although last year I didn't do Valentine's Day. Oh, we don't do Valentine's Day. Well, Joe did. Mm. She, I think she got me flour. Oh, you gotta get those rules set pretty clear. Yeah, well, I think we did, but Joe did it, and then I felt really bad. <sighs> yeah. So, so your, your worst present was not getting one. Yeah, pretty much. I'm yeah. pretty good with presents. I do like presents. I like choosing presents because you kind of think about the person, mm. you think about what they want, what they need, and you kind of, you know, you think you, you didn't give me anything. My last birthday, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> I'm never thinking about you. <laughs> so, so, but I tell you what, what you could do is you could buy a present and then have a backup present of coffee in there as well. Yes. So what you do is you buy a jewelry box, mm-hmm. but in the jewelry box you have coffee in there. So they go, oh, this is a crap jewelry box. Then oh, let's take some coffee. And get some of those chocolate covered ones as well. That's right. So check it out, coffeesofhawaii.com and uh, all John. the promo codes are on uh, iamtalk.me. Why don't you surprise her? No, because that's, no. You don't want the to see the president. are set. We're but not John, to- you don't have to spend money. Mm. We've, got, we've got our um, wedding anniversary at the weekend as well. So we'll How many years? That. 2006 so really it was only 2006 no yeah. it was earlier mm, maybe you're right <laughs> <laughs> I know it was because I don't think when we started the show no it was 2004 <laughs> oh you're confusing me now I guarantee it wasn't 2006 because I remember you getting married and we, I think we made, maybe it was 2006. No, it was 2006 because we came back in 2000 and end of 2004. I did Man at the start of two. This is how I always remember. I did Iron Man 2005, <laughs> the of that year, and we got married in 2006. So, no, I am right. Okay. You're wrong. Well, it's good to know that you know your wedding. And we probably started in April 2006. Yeah, it must have been around the same we got, time. We got married February 17th, 2006. Uh. Put that one into my calendar the other day, so it's got a yearly reminder on it. Thomas reminded me. So two, you, Thomas you, reminded me two days ago. So, so you know where that comes from? Where? Mum, exactly. <laughs> Thomas doesn't know your wedding anniversary. <laughs> yeah. So wait a second. Do you get, do you get an anniversary present? Oh, we'll go out for dinner. Where will you go? Uh, to John. Recommendation: Smokehouse. Mm-hmm. You've you ever been there? No, no. Go there. Okay. It's a bit, bit, bit pricey. Is it in the book? The entertainment book. Oh, you and your bloody book. <laughs> it's got to be in the book. <laughs> okay, we're going to put Thames and Lewis on. We talked to her last weekend. We talked to her about uh, what do we talk to her about, John? We talked to her sort about sort of a kind of medical tent, and and then uh, some other sort of generalised stuff at the end there as well. Good old, good old Thames and mm. the party. Yes, and she's off to Tritopia in France this year for a bit of training. I like Thames because she's smart. Mm. She's a bit of an all round chick, really, isn't she? Mm. She, you know, for a guy who kind of ends up with her, they're doing all right. Doing all right. Attractive, smart. Yeah. Gotta be, gotta be a bike mechanic, fix her bike when it breaks down. Oh, she's a bit hopeless of bikes? Oh, Hard yeah. road to a perfect woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here's the engine. <coughs> Special guest. Uh, Special guest. Second friend of the show. Part, party friend Sword of the show. Sort of the party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dr. Tams and Lewis is back on the show, so welcome back. Hey, hi. <laughs> we, um, 
we saw you in Kona partying, partying up hard, and apparently the the party in Phuket was uh, was even better. So, oh, really? Well, it normally is. But did did it did it match up this year? Was was Phuket better than uh, better than Kona? Yeah, see, it always tends to be. Um, I think it's because it really is the end of season, and I don't know. Maybe there's there's less sponsor people around, so the athletes aren't afraid to kind let of let the their hair out. Go. <laughs> nice. But um, yeah, as we said, we saw you in Kona, and um. You went uh, racing there. And I was like, how'd your race go? And you go, I wasn't racing. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. no wonder. <laughs> so you you were in there um, helping out in the medical tent. So we're really keen to just, you know, find out what goes on there and, um, and uh, yeah, just, I don't know, basically see what goes on there. So first, I'm, I'm really keen to know um, what sort of qualifications you need. Obviously, you've got a, you're a doctor. Um, what you sort of need to, to, be, to be in that tent and, and what sort of, diverse range of doctors uh, and other support people are in there yeah I mean they have a lot of different people in there from nurses to um, to some medical students that just basically you know hang out and get taught and just like they would in any other hospital but um, you have to apply and go through sort of an application process whereby you demonstrate your interest in in sport you don't know how you do that you just kind of say you know um, I like sport um, but I actually, um, they prefer it if you sign up to the medical conference, which is held for the four days before um, the event um, itself. So I signed up for that and went on that and heard lots of interesting people from around the world talk about Ironman and nutrition and injury and stuff. And then most of the doctors that go to that um, will, will be in the medical tent um, uh, helping out on race day. So, um, yeah, before we came on here, we were just sort of talking about waterlogged and Tim Noakes stuff. And, and this, when this interview comes out, we will have had the interview last week with uh, Jonathan Dugas around hydration. One of the things in Noakes' book, you know, um, it was is how to deal with hyponatremia and the different um, avenues you can go down on how to treat it. So, I'm interested in terms of. Um, do you have to follow set protocols or is it, is it, is it expected you know what to do in different situations um, you know, in terms of the different cases that obviously present themselves when, when people turn up in the medical tent? Yes, I mean the first thing that, that happens now is everyone in Kona gets weighed before and after the race. You probably know that already but um, some people when they've actually lo- some people actually gain weight during the race which can often be indicative of hyponatremia which is effectively a dilution of your blood sodium levels and when that happens you actually start retaining water um, so you actually end up gaining a bit of weight so when everyone gets signed in the people get signed into the medical tent if they've gained weight then automatically they will be put on you know high alert because it is potentially you know potentially lethal actually um, people can go into seizures and um, and um, yeah it can be you know deadly so that's the kind of the process which what happens. You you get weighed when you come into the medical tent, and um, and then they do a blood test um, with a finger prick to test your actual level of blood sodium. So um, do they have? A, I mean, I, I'm picking. I mean, I ended up in the medical tent when I was there, and I I can't remember how many drips I had, um, but it was it was at least, at least two. Um, it, how many staff do they have in there? Because it must be an absolute zoo in Kona. It is totally, and there's more and more people that sign up um, every year, and they've got some very highly qualified staff from 
um, some of the best sports medicine institutes around the world. And there's a lot of teaching that goes on in there as well, which is which is good. But they have um, it's very well organized. You know, they have their chief staff who are in a different uniform from, say, you know, the, the medical students who will be in a different top. So I'm sort of a middle level doctor. So I'll be in a slightly different colored top from the the consultant charge doctors. Um, and the one, the people that are the most sick obviously get seen by the charge doctors um, um, before they get, you know, sort of, there's a triage system which is very effective in, in place there. How, how busy are you? You know, like obviously your athletes kind of coming in pretty much from about eight hours onwards and through to past midnight. So, you know, to that 70 hour mark, you know, when is it busy and how busy does it get? Well, they, they put you on a shift system and I was in from, uh, I think it was about four o'clock till midnight. So I literally went in as Leander crossed the line. Um, so I was lucky enough to be able to see the, you know, the guys and, and, and Leander finish, but you're, I mean, you're pretty, you're pretty busy. I mean, there's, there's, (laughs) there's a lot of people in there. Um, even the ones that aren't, um, you know, that the medical students are hanging around and they really want to be taught as well. So they're kind of asking a lot of questions and I always like teaching. So I bring them along and, you know, it got busier, you know, because the, obviously the professional athletes are, are more acclimatized to, tend to be more acclimatized to conditions. But, you know, some would say they push themselves hard and harder as well. So, but generally the later on, the sicker people are. Mm-hmm. So, people from early in the day, people that didn't finish, you know, that had a few crashes on the bike, that um, one lady who had. Um, edema swelling in her lungs from the swim she was in there already goodness so um i guess you weren't quite there well you wouldn't have been there i guess for for but did they get many people you know coming off the bike who have just totally overcooked themselves and they're just in la la land coming off the bike even before they've started the run yes and uh, actually one of a, a friend of mine i actually missed him in the tent but i saw him when he got out onto the run um uh, Stu Anderson, I, I think he's one of. Well, he listens to your show. He um, he'd overcooked the bike. You know, he did a, a four fifty on the bike, and uh, <laughs> and then he came into the tent and was like, "Whoa!" Um, and basically, <laughs> they he kind of fell off his bike coming into T one, and the medics picked him up and said, "Right, you're not going on on the run until we, um, you know, we, we can see that you're more coherent." So. They sat him down, gave him some carbohydrate, and he felt better and, and finished. But it, it's interesting, apparently, that the number of medical tent admissions is directly correlated to um, how strong the winds at Harvey are. Oh, really? Mm. So the windier it is up there, the more people end up at the end of the day or otherwise in the medical tent. Mm, interesting. Uh, do you know what that is? <laughs> yeah. What? You can fill us in. The, well, the theory is that people hang on to their bikes a lot more because they get scared of the winds and they don't fuel, they don't take on enough food or fluids. Um, and so they, they get onto the run and they've totally undercooked their nutrition for what they should have been doing and uh, it pays the price later. Wow. They get very depleted. So, so you can be admitted into the medical tent and then uh, carry on with the race? Yes, yeah, that's uh, happened to a couple of friends of mine. One who had a crash in 2010, he was severely injured and spent two hours in the medical tent and, and carried on. Yeah. 
Um, so to, I don't know whether you're, you're allowed to or not, but to share any um, perhaps uh, interesting things that you perhaps saw Funny stories. Going, going through the medical tent. Um, I think you see people that look really, really bad, like they've lost, you know, I mean, you talk about fat mobilization, um, but people literally lose kilos of fat. Um, and so some people come in and they look absolutely emaciated and you think, oh my God, they're on death's door. And then you, you give them some, you know, a couple of bags of fluid, some calories and Coke and, and they pick up and they change. But I've, I've seen people's feet like totally destroyed, you know, like mm. looking as if they're going to fall off. But in terms of, you know, gory stories, I mean, you just see a lot of very, very exhausted people that are incoherent. They repeat themselves constantly. <laughs> Sounds like epic <laughs> <a bit> camp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's quite strange because you think, gosh, and the the charge doctors always say to you, like, there's no way I would do this. You know, I don't understand why people do this themselves because it's so bad for you, you know? <laughs> um, of course. So, um, so yeah. any other things you sort of that um, you want to share about, obviously, the Kona experience, you know, looking at, obviously, you've got the athletic side of it, um, having, uh, you know, know what it's like to be on the other side of the fence, but any other things you sort of want to share about Kona and the medical tent or, or any other observations you might have had? Um, I think one thing is a lot of people get, uh, that are in the tent are there because of heat exhaustion, um, and that is... Uh, most likely due to because they don't uh, don't acclimatize um and you know i mean there's not and there's only so much you can do for that but you know the way you can prevent it is by you know acclimatizing and and um sorry i was just trying to think of something else um the the one thing i wanted to mention is because um you you see a lot of people in the medical tent and they're shaking and they look like they've got chills. I don't know if you've ever mm -hmm. seen that. Mm -hmm. Like, why are they shaking? Why are they shivering when they're absolutely, you know, their temperature's really hot? Yeah. Um, and it happens because their skin circulation gets starts to shut down because it's been trying to lose heat all day by bringing the blood up to the surface of the skin. Um, and then there's no more heat to lose because the body's overheating. So the temperature skin circulation shuts down so the body thinks it's cold when it's not actually cold so it starts shivering well so i guess again that's a case of uh acclimatization and um i guess correct pacing so you don't totally overcook yourself yeah that's the thing i think a lot of people don't realize especially with nutrition that if you're trying to take on the same nutrition in a hot race than you are in a normal temperate race you won't be able to take on the same unless you've spent a long time acclimatizing one reason is because of the skin circulation there's a lot of blood is diverted away from the gut so there's not enough blood in the gut to actually digest the calories that you're putting in so a lot of people experience more reflux you know more sickness nausea um, and if you do I think that the key thing is to do is to try and one slow down so that you get more blood into the gut away from the muscles and two um, to drink some water to try and dilute the stomach contents to a more absorbable form you know, you say climatization is such an important part of, you know, not blowing up, I suppose, in Kona or, or in hot races. For, let's say, you are going to go and do an Ironman race somewhere in the world where it is known as being a hot race. What kind of time period should you aim to get there so you are in a good condition come race day? 
Well, previous acclimatization predicts future um, successful acclimatization. So if you have raced before in hot conditions or you have trained before in hot conditions, when you get there, your body is going to acclimatize more quickly to the same conditions. But if you're a newbie and, you know, you train in Europe, and then you go and want to go and race in Kona, you're going to need to be there three weeks before to acclimatize properly. Okay. And there's ways that you can do it. You know, people in, in, in the UK and Europe, you know, they sit in their toilets uh, or their bathrooms with the, <laughs> the showers on, you know, in, yep. on the turbo trainers for five hours, that sort of thing. I mean, there are ways to acclimatize in, outside the conditions, but they're not as good, obviously, or as effective. No, and boring. Yeah. And <laughs> smelly if it's in the toilet. Um, so what else is happening in the world of Tamsin, you know, in terms of your, your racing the last season? How did that go? And um, and what have you sort of got planned uh, for 2013? Uh, 2012 was a bit difficult for me. I had a number of, of uh, well, firstly I had a stress fracture, which kind of meant that I couldn't run for four or five months, which kind of put things off. Um, and then I had a few personal issues to sort out, um, which made things difficult. But um, I've got a new coach for 2013, um, and things are going really well, and he's changed the focus a bit. Um, I was with Cliff English for mm -hmm. two, two years, and um, we made a lot of progress with my run. Um, but, you know, people move on, and it was time for me to move on and, and get a, a new focus. And my, my coach is local to me in yeah. London, um, he worked a lot with Darren Smith, who you oh, might yeah, know. Yeah, 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 and Darren Smith. Um, yeah, and I worked with um, Darren when I was in Kona, and he was amazing with my swim. He really helped it. Um, just took the focus off off me trying to get find the catch. You know, we get mm. a bit with trying to fill the catch, and um, he was he really helped me. So my my coach is um, Tom Bennett. He runs a company called T Two Coaching. Um, here in London, and he was he was training, as I said, with Darren Smith. So a lot of his methods are similar to his. Mm. A lot more intensity, a lot more strength work than I was used to previously. Cool. And uh, you're going to be heading over to spend a bit of time in Europe this year, going to Tritopia. That's right. Yeah, I was uh, contacted by them, and um, I'm looking forward to working with them. Um, I love France. Um, climbing is my thing. I would spend my life in the mountains if I could. So. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to meeting the guys and helping out on some of the camps this summer there. So if you go to try-topia.com, you can check that out. But it's um, they've got a 25-meter pool on site, nice. which is pretty nice. That's it's pretty a really cool. nice place in France. They've got uh, some awesome training there, um, awesome facilities run by triathletes. So check that out at try-topia.com. Um, what else is going on, Tamsin? Any other, any other gossip you can share with us or anything else that's going on in your world? How can people follow you and so on? Um, yeah, lots going on this year because I'm, I'm doing my first full distance. I haven't actually done the full distance Ironman yet. I, you know, I've done Alpe d'Huez three times, which is a pretty grueling event. But um, yeah, I'm probably going to – I wanted to do Nice. Yeah. Um, but it sort of clashes with Half Ironman UK, which is one of my favorite races. So maybe looking at Wales. Um, so that's happening. So changing up the schedule a bit for that. Um yeah, um, lots of people follow me on Twitter because I'm a big tweeter. I don't know if you guys do, but I I spread a lot of um, medical knowledge and, and sports nutrition and 
training and uh, sports injury advice via Sporty Doc on Twitter. Nice. Sporty Doc on Twitter. Okay. We don't really do Twitter, do we? No, I need uh, to get into no, it. Really. It's the thing you should do, but we don't. Yeah. <laughs> you have because I, I put your links to your shows and stuff, and I never get any any comments back from you guys. So I'm thinking, ah, oh, they don't. No, they don't look. It's not that we don't love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is where it's, you know. Unfortunately, people, people, lots of people get uh, networked through Twitter. Awesome. Oh, we, um, it's great to have you on the show. We'd like to maybe get, if you've got any uh, stuff you want to share in the future, just come and we'd be happy to have you on for little segments here and there as, as Sporty Doc. Um, and make sure you uh, race, do some iron distance races next year and qualify for Kona, and we'll see you over there in 2014. At the party again. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, and you looks like you're getting fit, John. So well, I'm not. There. I'm two days into it, so I'm not there, not quite there yet. But I, but I will be. I've got. He's looking months. sharp, Tamsin. You, you wouldn't even recognise him. He's a new yeah. man. Okay, you got the skinhead yet? No. Yeah, I'll t- not, not far off it. Not far off. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on the show, and we'll uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay. Take care, guys. Okay. You have a great day, mate. See ya. Bye. Bye. What do you think of Tamsin? Outstanding, Bevan. Outstanding, John. I'd love to be in that medical tent just to see some of the carnage that goes on. They never let me go on there. No, we've stood. Yeah, no, we haven't been able to. No, I always try to get in there. Oh, as an athlete, you're talking? Or no, was, just with my microphone. Yeah, we tried to get in there. There's a few pros in there last year, wasn't there? Yeah, always give me that. No, no, stay away. Because I've almost- got a media pass. Pretty sure in Kona, there's, there used to be two stages of medical tent. You'd sort of come through, and there's one right by the finishing t- shoot, um, and then there's another one which you have to walk all the way across yeah. the field, and that's where um, I think you go to get the drips. That's where I remember I went to to get them done. So, yeah, it's severe, not so bad. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so Thameson was obviously there this year. Interesting that they've got ice baths in Kona now as well that they often um, oh, get guys they? plunging into. Um, yeah. Where were they? They've just got those big black tub things oh really yeah so I don't know how extensive they use them we should have asked Tams in that one mm, we should have next time <laughs> okay John uh, sponsor one of the things that um, obviously we talk a lot about is uh, is people having race day nutritional issues and uh, and that can be caused for a variety of reasons um, but if you want to try to tick off different you know risk factors that might reduce your uh Gut issues, I guess the first one we always look at is uh, is your pacing, but if, if, if you've got that right, then there's other things you can be doing as well, and uh, extreme endurance have got gut endurance, which is another way where you can try to mitigate some of these factors, it assists with the digestion of proteins, it aids antifungal activity, promotes large and small intestine health, and maintains a healthy balance of intestinal flora. So if you have been having some issues, uh, it's got a whole bunch of probiotics in there, which is... Uh, Really, really good for you. Uh, it's only twenty four ninety five to get yourself a um, a container of that and give it a whirl because uh, if you put all the training and effort into into a race and only to have your guts go mental on you, um, it's worth you know, trying a variety of things to get that sorted out. So check that out. It's extreme endurance, gut endurance, uh, and it's twenty four ninety five. Use the codes we've got at the moment is IM Talk five and you get five bucks off anything. Except for the anything, little, except for the little pre-packaged um, things, but everything else you get five bucks off. So, worth a try. Check, check, check it out, guys. Xendurance.com. Yes, John. Yes. Do we got any questions and answers? Um, I don't know. I think you put this one in, didn't you? Mm, did I? From no. Jess Ripper. 
Oh, that was oh just yeah, you know I put that in. So uh, I'm in Japan, the new one, Jess Ripper. Um, Saying it's an amazing, beautiful yeah. race. She's, she's uh, lived there for quite some while at Lake Toya slash Nisiko. Uh, it's an incredibly, incredibly beautiful part of the world. The area is very well known for winter activities and it's been named in the top 10 ski resorts in the world. Wow. Um, she's been there for 12 years. If anybody wants a closer look, Nisiko Multisport will be holding several training camps on the Ironman course this summer. A great opportunity to check out the course. So check it out. We'll have a link on, this, on imtalk.me, nisikomultisport.com and... Uh, Apparently we're going to have 50 Kona slots here in 2014. It could be one of my fullback options if I, <laughs> if I, if I cock up Tapo. There we go. So check it out. So Ironman Japan looks like it's going to be an amazing race. Jombo, sponsors. We're Athlink, going long, so I'm trying to wrap it Athlinks. up. com. Check, check, check it out. Extreme endurance. Watch your, watch your, watch all about. SLSTry.com. Yeah. And <laughs> Coffees of Hawaii. Mm. That's nice. the thing about being a rapper. You know, like you get paid millions of euros to success rapper and they just make grunts all the time. Yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. It was a bit macho man Randy Savage, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, John, but what's your goss? Uh oh, we're not I mean finishes we're waiting till after tapper, uh, aren't we? Yeah, wait till after tapper. Okay, great. Uh Bevan. I've joined the world Twitter. Oh really? Wow, you I've I've only done one tweet so far. Wow. Yeah. What were they on? Well, I wanted to figure out a way of uh, keeping people up, somewhat up to date with my Project 2014 news, if there was anything noteworthy, because I appreciate not everybody's going to go on and read every single session, but each time I do maybe a test session or something noteworthy, I thought I'd just get that out well, there. Well, twitter.com slash John Newsom NZ. Yes, remember there's no Ian Newsom. Yeah. And uh, I've just gone there right now, John. You follow me? Yep, yep. Follow me. Straight away. Yeah. Yeah, and two posts, actually. Yeah. You've got, okay, I'm joining the world of Twitter to help document oh, Project nice. 2014. Yeah. And you've got yesterday's writers up, including 30 minutes at Iron Pace. Yes. And you go, and then you click on your link and it goes to your little Squarespace site. Yes. And then you go, you know, you can put a little logo up the top there. I'll just show you how to do that. Yes, you do. And then it's got Craig asked me to do, do a test ride. Yeah. And so you did. Yeah. And how'd it go? Yeah, it's good. Just 30 minutes at, at 35k an hour and heart rate and power. Seemed perfectly in the zone, so I'm like, well, just need to do that for 180 k's, and I'm sweet. Five hour bike split. No, uh, five hour bikes. It's 36 k an hour, but I'll get a k out of race wheels and a helmet and what have you. So yeah, and placebo. Uh, and I don't, yeah, don't need to do any training for the next 12 months, and I'm going to ride five hours. Great, easy. Just project 2014 is done, then, isn't it? Mm. You probably you, you could just give up now and win. Exactly. Well, so Twitter. So it's exciting. It is exciting. What other uh, gosses there? What other gosses there? Uh, haven't given a sort of thought. Bevan, what are you up to? John. John and I went to Australia last mm-hmm, week. Mm-hmm. Five days in Melbourne. Yes. That one's good. Have you holiday in Melbourne? Never been to Melbourne. You've never been to Melbourne? I've never been to Melbourne. Really? Really. How's that happened? No need. I reckon if you're going to, if you're going to we, 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 you've been to a Sydney. Yeah, not very much so. Only, I think I've only been there twice. Brisbane? Gold Coast, come on, you've done the GC a few times, haven't you? No, just once for Worlds. John. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather go to Kiteri for a week. Really? Yeah. But how do you know you've never been to Melbourne? Well, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Melbourne's a great spot. It is. No, allegedly it is. No, it is because Melbourne's a really good city because it's got, it's, it's for us Kiwis, it's not too hot. Joe, jo, how's Melbourne? 
See, awesome. if Joe says it's awesome, it must be true. Mm. Shopping's good, mm. and we know how much you love shopping. Mm. You know, mm. you would just be there every day. We would see some shows, John. Guess what shows we're going to see? Suit Soleil. Oh my God, those guys are good. Yeah, those guys are phenomenal, man. Seriously, the stuff they do is absolutely blows your mind away. So that was very good. But guess what else we went and saw? Um, give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. Yep, Joe did striptease at the striptease. Yeah. Hey, babe. Yep. Yeah. And uh, no, okay. It was a movie. A, a five questions. Five questions. Okay, and let's see if the listeners will get it on. A movie, a, a kids' movie based in. Don't, don't, don't Google just, it. No, no, no. I've just got. Um, what? I've, I've got a new topic for the show that I was thinking of the other day. Well, wait a second. I'm, I'm talking ca- here. No, no, I've just got to write it down. Well, I'm doing a quiz with you. Okay, I'm ready now. Go. Okay. It was a movie from about the 60s. Say 60s, babe. 50s, 60s, 50s, 60s, based around a car. I'm not going to get this. Come on, John. Come on. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yes. <laughs> Great. There we go. I didn't need five questions. Bang. Yeah, you could no, believe in yourself a little bit more in life. Okay. okay. You know, you didn't believe and then you I thought about in, it. Believe in my nutrition. I believe in my nutrition. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the sage show, John. Mm-hmm. Absolutely phenomenal. Do your kids like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in the movie? Uh, we have got Chitty Chitty Bang Bang the movie. It's very good. Mm. It was Tyler's favourite movie as a kid. Mm. So I knew all the songs. Mm. A gentle breeze on Hushabye Mountain. Nice. And anyway, so you go to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and it was a bit slow to start, but then once it got going, it was all pretty good. And you're thinking, how are they going to do the car? Because mm. let's be honest, the car's mm. the key to the show, isn't it? Yes. So, you know, they've got the, the songs and everyone's doing their things and all the rest of it. And then the car comes out. And it looks mint, man. It looks really like the car in the movie. So you go, well, that's pretty impressive. But come on. Now they're still going to make it look amazing, like it flies and crap. So you're kind of waiting for that moment. And they do it. And it's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Like, I did my research afterwards. They spent $1.2 million just for the car. Mm-hmm. Now, the car flies. And I know it's theatre, so it's not literally flying. Yeah. But the way they do it, you really can't figure out how they're doing it yeah. because the way it moves, it's not on, it's not on wires. Yeah. And I, I did some research, and they said basically it's a, it's a hoist underneath it, but they did all these lighting tricks and that. So like you're looking, you're trying to see underneath it to see if yeah. it's, and it's it flies around. It's like I'm, I'm showing John how it flies. So it comes up, it does this, it yeah. turns around, does this, comes down. It even has this like um, hover thing. Sounds mind blowing, John. Seriously, it was magical. Ah. And which really worked with Chitty Chitty Bam Bam. So that was very good. I was really happy with Chitty Chitty Bam Bam. Yeah. I like what you did there just before with your quiz. And that's something I was thinking of the other day that we can bring into the show. Is I can ask a question earlier in the show. People can ponder it. No, if you go on Google search, you're going to find the answers. But And then we can tell the answers later in the show. Oh. Yeah. Right. So. It was, it was, so you wait, you interrupted my chitty chitty bang bang story for that. I'm going to put a note for show 349 next week, 19th. And what? Is it a quiz around what? Is yeah, it a triathlon? Yeah. Like who was the Olympic bronze medalist from 2000 or something like that? Um, wasn't some Whitefield. He got the gold. Yep. So okay, we'll do it. We'll do it right now. So let's. Uh, I've got it's to make just, sure. It's just, just for you to show off each week, isn't it? Well, no, it's not. Let's let's go. Olympic bronze medalist from two thousand males. Would I know him? Probably not. Okay. Well, that helps. Yep. Okay. I'm gonna say it was the Polish guy. No. 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 Wait a second. And I'm pretty sure I know. 
oh, I know who was second and third. I've just got to remember the order now. Oh, come on, John. So people, have a think. Have a think. We'll give you another 30 seconds. How about we do, we do this in a minute's time? Okay, so what else have you been doing? Uh, what else have we been doing? Training, uh, first week of training went pretty well. About 11 and a half hours training. Nice, solid. And lining up next month's uh, Legends of Triathlon is Ken Glar. Yes. Interesting thing about King Glar. Melina helps me out with uh, with all my research as usual. It's fantastic. Melina, Melina should really it should be the Tanya Pora Scott Melina Legends of Triathlon. He said like King Glar comes from a family of like eleven or twelve kids. Really? Can you imagine being pregnant for oh, that John, amount of your life? Wait a second, I'm just imagining. I don't. did your joke. I just don't. <laughs> imagine, imagine. Oh, John, I don't want to talk about King Glar's mum's bit, but imagine, imagine what would happen down there. But I guess what happens, <laughs> and what you see with families, my, my brother's got oh, you um, up, four you end up kids. Bringing up your kids. Yeah, like my, even when you got four kids, even three, the old ones start looking after. Take responsibility. Mm. I had a mate, uh, my mate Jadar George, how about that for a good name? Mm. Jadar George, he was my mm. best mate when I was young. His mum had 15, so she was 16. Goodness me. A big Mary family from up north. Goodness me. 16. She didn't even know half his uncles. Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. So you must be pregnant for twenty five years. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy. <laughs> okay, okay, I know who it is. Okay, uh, so first, from Czech Republic. Oh, well, that's easy then. Uh, Jan Rahula. Jan Rahula. It's Jan Rahula and Stefan Vukovic. He were, got second were, from were, Germany. So Vukovic was second, was he? Yep. And Rahula was third. Yep. And some for won it. What about girls third? Oh no, let's save that for next week. Oh, well, we can't because people will know for next week now. They'll do the research. Okay, we'll have to have a different topic next week. So in the women's 2000 would be... Uh, Who won? You had... Uh, well, that, that's got a big big asterisk there. And it'll be interesting to see if they've still got that on there. Um, Bridget McMahon. On Wikipedia they have. Yeah. but she must be true. Yeah, she's been busted for drugs, but it was... But she still gets her gold. Mm. Yep, yep, she does. Kelly Jones was second, and girl, third girl was the Swiss girl... Magali Mesmer. Magali Mesmer. Mesmer, yeah. Mm. There you go. So much throwing a few of those quizzes from time to time. So just Kelly Jones doesn't get to get the gold. No, she don't. Well, she, she tested positive well after two thousand. Uh, okay. So, unless they had any, did retrospective yep. testing. Which they didn't pick in those days. Yeah, well, they didn't cycling. So, but they didn't in triathlon. I don't think. <laughs> anyway, uh, Sean, this is a very long show again. Let's wrap it up. Okay, I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Trisma. Kia kaha. kaha.